I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. First and last podcast. It's a podcast where my friend Craig and I, we get together each week. We work our way through a director's theatrical filmography from their first film all the way through to their last. Mm-hmm. I said that so quickly. It came I out as one giant sentence. But look, if you've listened to the show, you know what he said. Yeah. It's a good start. Reading between the lines, I'm excited to talk about today's film. <laughs> we're, we're all very, very, very excited. Um, and in I, case Jeff didn't say it, it's Catherine Bigelow. It is. We are, <laughs> we are talking Catherine Bigelow. I'm so excited, I can't even stop. Bigelow! <laughs> after last week, we talked last week, The Hurt Locker. Ooh. It and we had a great time so talking good. that film. It was such a, come on, baby, make it hurt so good. Um, <laughs> if we can't tell by the jovial nature of Jeff and Craig, we have gone out for massive Mexican schnitzels tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Delightful. Thanks to non-sponsors, The Barbarian. Yeah, we thank you very that. much. We enjoyed that. Yes, very Mexican much. Mexican schnitzels at a German restaurant. <laughs> it makes no sense, but <laughs> it it's delicious. No it, it is very nice. So uh, we, we've, we've filled up some del- some deliciousnesses in us. Yes. Uh, but we've actually had, the more I think about it, the more I am enjoying this season. Mm. I don't think at any point I haven't enjoyed the season. Yeah, I even, think it's good, it's good highs. Good yeah, highs. it has, hasn't it? But even the lower points, and we're finding most seasons there's a couple films that are lower. Yeah, I would say there's some lower points in other seasons, yes. I think... Even those low points that we face in this season are so intriguing and so great to talk about. Yeah, right. I obviously I see K nineteen as a low point. Um yeah. and yeah, and obviously weight of water. But K nineteen was still enjoyable. It was like a I, like I say low point, I just say it's the lower yeah, just yeah. A, yeah, just less than her average. Yeah, totally. Than totally. a Bigelow average. Yeah, 100%. Which sounds great. like well, one of those weird measurements, a Bigelow. <laughs> <laughs> it takes, it's like, you know, it's like about three, four Bigelows. Is it about Bigelows? 43 Bigelows? Oh, my Bigelows. Good Lord. <laughs> someone, call, someone call a, a doctor. That's a lot of ma- masculinity in it. <laughs> Toxic masculinity. Um, so we have had a good season. Hurt Locker was a great film. We both loved it. Yes. I believe it was. it's currently listed as my number one film. It is. It number is. two for Craig. Point Break still floating Point at number break, one. Man. Keanu. That's Keanu, man. But will he jump Would from a plane a today and time. come crashing to Earth? Oh, yeah, very true. Very we'll true. find out later. Good teasers. Good teasers. So this week, Craig, we are talking Zero Dark Thirty. Woo-woo! We're hot off the back of Catherine Bigelow winning an Oscar as Best yes. Director for Hurt Locker. It cleaned up in 2009's awards. Cleaned up well. It sure did. So should we just 
get on in. There's a big there's a big episode to cover today. We yeah, got a lot yeah, to let's cover. get in. So there's actually three years since the release of The Hurt Locker and the release of Zero Dark Thirty. Takes a time. Now, Zero Dark Thirty is really interesting in the sense of it's a film that had a limited release, so we're operating on its limited release date. If we were to oh, operate really? based on its wide release date, yeah. uh, it released in December 2012, wide release January 2013. In the lead up to the Oscars. Oh. So we've classed this one as a 2012 date. If anyone wants to contact us and say we should do it a different way, I'm open to suggestions. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Mind your own business. <laughs> okay. Stash your own fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've talked about on the podcast that Bigelow faced a lot of questions after K-19 as to the seven-year gap between... That and The Hurt Locker. Yeah. And during a lot of those interviews, Bigelow talked about how she had this desire to be more of a prolific filmmaker. Realised that she was spending quite a lot of time developing projects. And as a result, if one falls apart, then it's a big gap again to get the next one off the ground. Yeah. So it's really interesting because around The Hurt Locker time, Bigelow was putting things in place to make sure that that's not the case. To try and release films more frequently than she has in the past. Yeah. So we've got 2009 wins an Oscar. 2010 becomes a big year again for Bigelow. Hot off the Oscar. She's actually named Time's most influential person of the year for 2010. Oh, really? Yeah. Pretty massive. So obviously Bigelow is riding quite high Yep. after this. Remembering that Hurt Locker was an independent film as well. So you could imagine there were probably a lot of studios knocking on Bigelow's door. Yeah. But Bigelow had some projects in place already. So during post-production and promotion of Hurt Locker, uh, Catherine Bigelow and Mark Boll begin developing an idea they were actually working on before they focused on Hurt Locker, yeah. which is Triple Frontier. Ah. Now, Triple Frontier is really... I, it's a film that ended up released in 2019. Yes. Bigelow is still listed as a producer for it. Oh, cool. Um, it was made by Netflix. Had a pretty big cast. Huge cast, man. Um, being Charlie Hunnam, Oscar Isaac, I think. Uh, ben Affleck. Affleck's in there. Is Garrett Hedlund in there? Yes. Um, so there's this big cast. But when Bigelow was developing it, it was an even bigger cast announced attached to it. Cool. So in late 2010, it's announced that Triple Frontier will be Bigelow's next film. Yep. Now, I don't know if you remember, Craig, but we were actually very excited for this film. Were we? Because it was announced that signed on was Tom Hanks. Oh. And also rumoured to star would be Johnny Depp, Sean Penn, Leonardo DiCaprio, Christian Bale and Jeremy Renner. Shit and balls. What were Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. I reckon he would have been the Affleck. Um, yeah, because the character the character is they're all ex soldiers, ex special forces. Um, and Affleck's a bit older than the other guys. He's sort of like their their platoon leader, oh. and he's not wanting to. Is well, he like wants a to villain do in the film. Like, well, Affleck sort of is. Because not in that sense, but he's driving them. He wants to do one job so that he can retire. Oh. So it's like the old last job, man. Seriously, yeah. if you're a robber, you're never allowed to say last job. That would and be like so saying Macbeth. The details 
around this time in 2010, there wasn't much around the film itself. Yeah. Uh, but the plot is that it's a whole heap of ex-soldiers who come together to they know of Affleck tells them about the fact that there is this uh, drug lord who has a property which it's rumoured the walls are lined with money. So filled that with money. That should be money. Tom Hanks, the drug lord. And so they go and raid this place and then it all goes to poop and they have to try and escape with the money that they've stolen. Yeah, see, that you've been awesome, Tom Hanks as the drug lord. And if you just played Tom Hanks, like just this Maybe. awesome, awesome nice know. guy who just like, do you want some coke? <laughs> you know, Maybe just, the idea just though Tom Hanks, Just Tom Hanks telling you Like yeah Take a pound of coke Maybe the idea is more <laughs> believable With older actors yeah. So say Hanks You've got Hanks Depp Bale And then a young guy along Maybe Jeremy Renner Yep You know suddenly you go Oh wow You know there's not You could believe they're ex-soldiers Yeah As opposed to like You see Charlie Hunnam running around You're like Why isn't he a soldier? Rather than an ex-soldier. Ah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so um, so the intention is that Triple Frontier would begin shooting in March 2011. Now, during this time, Bigelow and Bolt actually were developing another project as well. So, again, Bigelow is trying to be more prolific in how much content she's putting out. Yeah. And so they are working on what is known as an untitled Black Ops thriller. Ooh. What could it be? What could it be? Ooh, Detroit. Well, Detroit. <laughs> Quite possibly they were developing that. But the untitled thriller was actually to follow the story of the Battle of Tora Bora. And uh, Craig's looking at me with a perplexed face. Yeah. So I'll explain what the Battle of Tora Bora. Steak? Tora Bora. Wabi Sabi. The Battle of Tora Bora actually took place in Afghanistan three months after the September 11 attacks in yeah. 2001 and is notorious because. They had the U.S. government had been informed of ca- a cave region, a region of caves in Afghanistan where Osama bin Laden was hiding ah. out, and they actually raided and attacked the those tribes. caves, only to find out that they'd botched it and he'd been tipped off and escaped. Yeah. So it's about the failed attempted capture of Osama bin Laden oh, okay. months after September 11. So that's known as the Battle of Tora Bora. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and there ends up being another war around Tora Bora later on again. Um, it's not a good neighbourhood. But a few months um, <laughs> after the announcement of Triple Frontier, the project had actually stalled. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it was reported that Paramount Pictures, who were distributing Triple Frontier, were actually concerned about how high the budget was. It had got to about an $80 million budget. For this war film. Now, it is quite... Triple Frontier is quite large in scale. But also large in actors. Very big actors. So Paramount's answer to this big budget is, okay, we could give you that budget and you could move forward with the project, but we want Will Smith to star in it as well. So Catherine Bigelow was actually very opposed to having Will Smith on her film. Now... If you're not a regular listener or if you've just forgotten, Craig and I have told a couple times a story about actors such as Will Smith, uh, Tom Cruise is another one that you could talk about, where these people are global brands. Yes, they are. And at this point, Will Smith is monstrous. Yeah. He is probably one of the biggest actors in the world. And... Not a YouTube sensation. Not a YouTube sensation going to work off their dad bod. 
Um, Giddy up. All props to Will, though. Go Good get in you, shape, Will. buddy. I yeah, want to exactly, see you do it. You know. um, but yes, yeah, free time. Will Smith is the sort of actor who, when he comes on board a project, brings in a team who also come through and shape the project to be a vehicle a for Smith him. Vehicle. That's right. And notoriously, Suicide Squad is one of those projects yep. where Deadshot was not a big factor in the in the film. It was more of an ensemble. And then the, the project became more shaped around Will Smith's character. Yeah. And the same thing happens with Tom Cruise. He brings a team on who know Tom Cruise's strengths. They mould the film around Tom Cruise and what his strengths are. And the good news is that nine times out of ten, Tom Cruise's people know how to build an amazing film around Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Will Smith, sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. Yeah. Um, so Bigelow was so opposed to this that she actually had to be convinced by the heads of Paramount to even have a meeting with Will Smith. Really? So you so, but I think this makes a lot of sense because as we've learnt along this podcast journey for this season with Catherine Bigelow, we know that she will pick unrefined talent yeah. to work with over a massive name talent. Well, and she might still be suffering fear from Harrison Ford. It was pretty rough. Yeah, exactly. It was so pretty darn. She rough. might be Fordites, you know, a little bit yeah. like, oh, yeah, I yeah. don't need another big. Ego on the... That's exactly right. And so if... And especially winning an Academy Award and getting global recognition off the back of an independent film... Influential. You'd start saying, actually, I don't need this megastar on board in order to sell my next film. Exactly. And so it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, So the stall in Triple Frontier means that Bigelow and Bowl could start shifting their focus. And Mark Bowl was writing Triple Frontier as well. So just say he's partnering with Bigelow on that project as well. Um, They shift their focus to their untitled Tora Bora project. Yep. Um, And so while they're working to get this together, they start, it gets to about May 2011. And both Bigelow and Bowl start receiving text messages and calls from their friends uh, passing on some rumours that they'd heard that there was to be an attack in Afghanistan which was going to lead to the assassination or capture of Osama bin Laden Ooh. that he'd been found. And so a lot of this is floating around and the next evening it's confirmed by President Obama to the world in a press conference that a team of Navy SEALs had raided Osama bin Laden's compound in Pakistan and assassinated Osama bin Laden, which was massive because I don't know if you remember back then, and we'll probably get there a bit later Mm. on. uh, It's such an interesting film to, to talk about when, I don't know, for you and I, we were at that age where this global catastrophe that happened like yeah. the tragedy of september 11 wasn't just a random time in history it's actually like something even though we were on the other side of the world you actually lived and breathed and grieved it yeah it was it was it it took away the invincibility of the western civilization because mm-hmm. suddenly that could happen when it was really just ah uh, yeah it only happens in the Middle East. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or only happens in Ireland. Yeah. Or, or actually at the time people were going, ah, yeah, only those brownies did it to themselves. Yeah. 
never thought of Ireland. Um, yeah. I never thought of that type. But you, but suddenly it could happen. Yeah. It could happen. Everyone like if, was vulnerable. It, yeah, exactly. If you're, if which pretty much the United States with the big brother of the world, if your big yep. brother could get hurt, yeah, man, we're, shite, we're all in <laughs> we're trouble. in trouble. Yeah, and so simply. Yeah, so so simply. simply. I remember. So I was living in Sydney at the time, and I was commuting into the city mm. in order to study. I was at a university in there, and I remember that the next day, actually. Yeah, the day of and the next day, I was catching the train. It was a 20-minute train ride into the city. And, um, like, we're talking the heart of the city. I was yeah. going to Town Hall Station. And um, there was barely anyone on a packed, what was usually a packed train. Yeah. And the amount of rumours doing the rounds on the platforms about mysterious packages and... People were terrified. Oh, they really were, Craig, because it did show how vulnerable... We could be. How easily. Yes, very much so. And so it's really interesting because what followed is for, I believe, that generation that witnessed it and and lived through it. And I can't imagine what it would have been like being a New Yorker living through it. Oh, yeah. You know, or even an American living through oh, it. Oh, yeah. My boss, my boss is from New York. Really? Mm. Mm. Just crazy. So then the hunt for Bin Laden was this, he's out there, he's been spotted. He's out there. You'd see oh, those was, news stories pop up with his videos. He was the boogeyman, wasn't he? He was. He was, he was totally everywhere. the boogeyman. He was, every, he was the villain. Suddenly you were living in a movie. Yeah. Like he was that arch villain. I've never, I guess, I could only imagine that what was what it was like when you were living uh, during World War Two about Hitler. Yes. But he was that villain in the world. So but interesting. But he was scarier because you knew where Hitler was. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it just... But, like, some people lied. And there were people, like... I remember there would be articles saying, this is what he'd look like if he'd slipped into yep. America to live. If he'd shaved his if beard. If he shaved his beard and yep. stuff like that. Totally. And you'd be like, man. And then everyone always loved to tell about how he's, you know, family of billionaires and shit like that. Yep. And he has money. Yep. He has money. He could be looking like this. Yep, totally. And and so when the assassination actually happened, I think a lot of the world was shocked. Yeah. Like almost to a point where it had gone on so long and, and this is what the film really tackles well, is that she works for nearly ten years. Yeah. For the capture of this. Uh, uh the the assassination of this. And and it really did I remember feeling like, Oh man, I c I can't believe they actually did it. They yeah, actually did it, and there was, and there was weird. It was no sort of like no. It was like a downtime, you know, because a bit, you know, like obviously Obama was in yes. there and everything like that. And, and you're like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then one day you just come out and get, yeah, we got him. And you're almost like, you got who? That's it. And it did. There was this strange lull, wasn't there? Yeah, where it's like we hadn't heard anything for a while. Again, the moment in the film where they show footage of the London bombings. Yeah. I was like, oh, I remember feeling ill watching that news that footage too. because I was like, oh, gosh, that was like so bad when that happened. Like, you know, again, it's like, oh, not only can they get the US, they can get England. Yeah. So well, poor England has always copped it, man. Like there's a lot, once again, IRA bombed a lot of England. Yeah, yeah. 
Like, it's it's crazy, isn't it? But yeah, I still yeah, Satara was great. I still remember watching it and just thinking the first plane. Everyone was like, the first plane, people were confused and going, "Oh yeah, it's an accident." And then watching, like I, I remember watching on TV when the second plane hit. Oh, me too. And just like, it was early morning. What, and what the, what the fuck yeah. is going on? And, and yeah, it threw the world into you know. Everyone, I remember going, oh, shit, I need to text Johnny's in Sydney, you know, like fucking this could be starting in every capital That's, city, you know. And, and like it was it, so bad. Everyone, they, especially the reports afterwards, and, you realize, and you'd go, what? What, they didn't actually check people for that type of shit? Like, why isn't that already a security yeah. process? <laughs> you go, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> it's, well, it highlighted a lot of things and the world really tightened up afterwards. Yeah. Um, but... It, it really was this this global moment yeah. in history. Um, and it is odd to watch a movie based upon something that we were, you know, th- from a distance a part of. We were, uh, look, I wouldn't even say from a distance. That obviously, like, it affected America, but it affected everyone. Yeah. Everyone, man, that ripple effect went through, and that look seriously, that and that's three thousand people, like like we were saying, to, you know, the other day, you know, there's freaking in the COVID, there's three thousand people dying every day at the height of America's thing, but this, this was just something different. This was just, this was something that seemed like it just, yeah, it took away invincibility, yeah, it took away everything. You're just like, oh shine, yeah, what is going on? And it started to rock things really it bad. It did, didn't because it? Because everyone overreacted. Yeah, well, I think that's a human response. Oh, I agree. Look, yeah. I I would have done the same. Everything yeah. shut down. Everyone got scared. Everything just went into this full just lockdown. Remember, I remember yeah. going on a plane. You yeah, yeah. Have Anything. You had to take your shoes off and yep. you had to take... No bottled water. Yeah. You know I what I mean? Totally you had remember. to just basically... You had to throw things in the bin before you even stepped on the plane. Yep. You are just emptying out stuff. Yeah, it was... They even got to that point where you were like... You were only that a certain amount of liquids fluid yes. on there. So yes. you used to like... If you were taking an overnight bag, you'd have to put some shampoo in a tiny little container yep. and all that sort of stuff. It was... I remember once traveling back from, I think, Japan... Uh, like sort of in that yeah. time. Um, and I remember buying a snow globe and I'd chuck a snow globe out because it had fluid in it. Well, and they had other little on. bits afterwards, like the guy with, well, they reference in the movie, the guy with the bomb in his shoe. Yeah. Um, so many close calls afterwards. And yeah. then London bombings. Yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah. It was, it's, again, it was such a wild time. It's weird to think, yeah, because we're, 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 our minds are focused on COVID currently coming out of a COVID pandemic, but we realised that fear really started in the early 2000s. Oh, man. yeah. Hey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fucking yeah, hey. Yeah. And the way it was reported. scared for 20 years, hey. I feel like no it was... No the Americans have just gone fucking nuts. <laughs> well, I remember, for me, it was like the first time where I was aware that... Because in Australia, we didn't necessarily have 24-hour news channels. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. Um, and I know that's probably a more regular thing in the US... Uh, but for us, it was the first time where they just dropped everything and focused on one topic for days. That's and, right. And it really shifted a lot of things. And you're right, that, that idea of fear. And again, Osama bin Laden became this boogeyman. Yeah. 
to to so many people. And then Michael Moore released the Fahrenheit 9/11. Yes, really focusing on uh, yeah, exactly, Bush and that, in that pushed them all out again. Yep. And then ever suddenly Bush was a villain as well. Yep. And you're like, yeah, pretty crazy. And we'll talk a bit post-release some of the Obama controversies linked to this film. Yeah, and a few other things. But so. With the assassination of Osama bin Laden happening, suddenly Mark Boll and Catherine Bigelow find themselves in a really interesting predicament, which is the world has just celebrated the death of probably one of the most infamous people in history. Yep, easily. And we want to tell a story about a failed attempt at catching this person. Yes. Can we release it? Or do we have to change our film? Now, they're actually about two-thirds the way through a complete final script for this film. So they're pretty darn deep. And in light of these events, they start thinking about maybe they should continue with their film but bookend it with the fact that 10 years later, he's captured. Yeah. And... It really starts to put some pressure around this again in light of the assassination, which is previous to this, they tried to sell the Tora Bora film. And even off the back of Hurt Locker, Bigelow couldn't secure financing for the film. Really? Now, the idea of the hunt for Osama bin Laden being a film, studios were terrified of because he was still the boogeyman. Yeah, true. So no one wanted to release something with him in the picture. And then have something that would ruin all the promotion. That's exactly right. And so the idea was pretty much it's going to be box office poison if we release this film. So no one wanted to touch it until Bigelow found uh, independent funding through Annapurna Pictures. Oh, good old Annapurna. Now, Annapurna um, offered straight up $45 million in that's financing good. for that's this That's good. That's uh, three times what Hurt Locker had. <laughs> yeah, okay, just to give a bit of context. She gets throw money. And we do see that on the screen oh, in this fantastic. film. It's such a great looking film. Now, the funding added to pressure to make the Tora Bora film work. Yep. Uh, obviously, you're really thinking, well, I've got $45 million there to make this movie. I still want to use that money to make a movie. Yep. How do we do it? To add to the pressure, a few days after the raids in Pakistan, Head of Sony Pictures, Amy Pascal, calls Catherine Bigelow yeah. and says, hey, still working on that Osama Bin Laden project? And she's like, uh, yeah, we're just seeing what to do with it now, following on from all this sort of madness that's gone on. And she said, well, if you are, we want in and we want to distribute the film. So not only have they got financing for the picture, yeah. for the first time in a very long time, Catherine Bigelow also has fin- uh, financing and distribution in place before she's even started. Boom! Good on you, right. Catherine. <laughs> so, I'm so proud of her. Obviously, they're, they're like, all right, how do we make this storyline work? How do we tell the Battle of Tora Bora? How do we tell the story of yeah. the, the assassination of Osama bin Laden? And... It was really tough decision, but after months of trying to scre- squeeze it all in together, make yeah. the two storylines gel, they decided they had to scrap the project altogether, the Battle of Tora Bora. Makes sense, man, because this film, 
it's if people forget, yeah, like you said, it squeezes ten years. Yeah, yeah, into a film. And I've got to give the film props because it's chapter-like structure. I like the chapters. Me too, and I think it's actually really important before because Zack Snyder did it. <laughs> After Quentin Tarantino yeah, made exactly. it quite popular, but I think the 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 fact that it's sort of haphazardly done. Yeah. In the way it's timed. It's actually almost like we're watching a dossier. Yeah. That's working through the events. Um, and in doing so, we're actually given the opportunity for time to pass without feeling like time's passing. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not like we do have moments that tell us what year we're in. But at the same time, it's not rammed down our face. And you don't really care what year it's in no not at all not at all but only when you see like another terrorist attacking oh jesus what year was that yeah totally when the london thing happens you're like how long yeah that was a while ago after yeah Yeah. (laughs) you you sort of wondered so the only thing that actually survived from their battle of tora bora film was the opening two minutes of the film where there's a black screen and you hear audio of 9-11 oh like distress calls yeah because that was hardcore Oh, I actually, I found that two minutes of audio was actually really distressing to listen to for me. It I is. found it, it really hard to listen to. brings up so much, to. man, because like everyone was impacted, man. Yeah, everyone, totally. Man. And it's so intelligently done because for those two minutes, like we've just talked about, you were totally transported to that day. Yeah, we all and remembered you, it. You just remember it. And then what sort of flowed for me was remembering the images of people jumping out of the building. You know, you hear all those horror stories that came from people just trying to survive, you know. Um, There is some controversy that that audio was used without some people's permissions and family's permissions. So that was quite... They copped a bit afterwards and there were some attempted lawsuits, I believe, as well out of it. That's Catherine Bigelow. She's a lawsuit friggin' magnet. Yes, she is. She is. But that's because I... I think when you work within controversy and within hard topics, yeah. you're bound to to face opposition. But She's also, never playing safe in films. But also, bear, yeah, and in another way, though, if I was a family member and I went to watch this film and I heard oh, my loved that, one's voice... that would be I tragic, would be wouldn't it? Traumatised. Yeah, totally. traumatised. Yeah, totally. And... Again, like in Australia, if footage is shown, archival footage of Indigenous Australians, oh, yeah. it always has a warning in front of it because yeah, they had the same problem happen in Australia, which is suddenly all this archived news footage of Indigenous Australians living in the outback was being shown and people were like, that's my grandmother. Yeah. That's my mother. And, and not being asked if it's okay to show images. And of it's against their belief, isn't it? Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If shown the of a dead person or someone yeah. who's passed. So. Yeah, it's really, yeah, yeah, it's not good. So, yeah, I can totally understand it and it would be pretty horrible to be faced yeah. with without warning, without Definitely. warning at all. So the raids in Pakistan then in true Hollywood style become a major property to, to work within. Yeah, because this is probably one of the biggest stories in historical. Yeah, uh, most historical moment for quite a long time. Oh yes, and people would really want to 
I, I don't know if you remember, there was uh, a couple projects that were yeah, all so. in, in production. One of them was, I think it was called Seal Team 6, Six. Um, which came out and they used... I think they went into them, they, that turned into a film. It did, yeah. and uh, I think they used actual soldiers Just in the in the film, and yeah. they tried to do a couple. Maybe Act of Valor was another one, or something oh, along yeah, those lines. But um, they they really studios were rushing to get a project out about this. Exactly. Um, now, with this in mind, Bigelow and Bowles start making the decision to to focus on a film about the assassination of Bin Laden. Yeah, they thought. We do have these contacts that we've been working on for the Tora Bora project. Maybe we'll reach out and see if we can start getting some information about the assassination. Yeah. And we could start building something from there. Maybe there's something that we could work on within it. Because obviously the end result's great, but it needs to be more than just the attack. Yeah, definitely. So they start reaching out and talking to a few contacts, Bull reaches out to one of his CIA contacts asking for fresh details and intelligence and actually while on the phone says to the guy, there are a lot of projects in development at the moment, but ours is the most likely to be made. Yeah. Is what <laughs> he boy, says. And so the statement actually worked with the CIA who then chose to work with Bigelow and Bull on a project as opposed to other people. Yep. Because I wasn't aware, Craig, but the CIA and some of the major intelligence agencies have a long-standing history with filmmakers. Always. Where you can approach them for information around projects and they will approve or deny their involvement with the project based upon what you're doing. And will sometimes ask for things to be made and changed in the script if they believe that it's not aligning with what I was, they're working on. It's funny you say that is that Facebook page on, you know, the one I was sending you yeah. bits about crew stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, so one of the guys said that, that military and CIA have the, an infatuation with Hollywood and yeah. vice versa. Um, and so they basically, um, one guy says, it's so top secret to see the stealth bomber, but because Hollywood asked, this one of the grips got to actually sit in one. <laughs> he goes so crazy one. he goes you know because they just gave us all access because the more there are films that they can actually show and if they're these films that come out actually increase recruitment well that makes a lot of sense because a film like this i would wager that there would be a lot of people who saw the soldiers at the end yep doing what they're doing and CIA would have got huge, um, a huge Definitely. amount of recruitment. Definitely, because you can't watch this film. It's a victorious film, because obviously for the US, yeah, it is. This is a major victory for them. But you can't watch this film and the soldiers that are all a part of this and not think we're quite we're glorifying these. Men. Oh, you couldn't. It's and that's the thing. It's a that's it's a film that really. St- Tiptoes on the high five propaganda films. Yeah, like, and yeah, dude, we'll touch on that. Yeah, a bit later, Craig. Pin. Pin. So the CIA then chooses, and the CIA actually has a department that works on films. Fuck, I'd love to work for them. Uh, and more research that I didn't write down here. The the same people that were working 
amongst here were also working with Ben Affleck on Argo at the time. Oh, cool. So, another uh, top film. And but also another film that would have just boosted recruitment. 100%. Yeah, 100%. So CIA chooses to work even with Even though he wasn't even a CIA agent, was it? Uh, Argo? I think he is. Yeah, he was, but there wasn't... He didn't work particularly with the CIA to get him out. It was with the Canadian... Well, he had to because the CIA denied the the, uh, assignment. Yeah, exactly. And so he went around them in order to to rescue them, which I love Argo. It's actually funny. We will talk Argo in um, (laughs) post-watch because I think you can't watch this film without seeing some sort of I didn't totally forget about Argo until now. So, yes, I I feel like watching that talk. We'll talk about that later. But the CIA actually said that they chose to work with Bigelow and Bowl because they felt they would be the first to make the film and had the biggest budget to make the film. Properly. So, they chose that. Wise move. Two Academy Award winners. Yep. Working uh, on their easily. film. Easily. You, once again, like, right, yes. in the, right in the... You saw what she done with Hurt Locker. Yeah, totally. Totally. I wonder how many people wanted to become bomb experts after that. Oh, Hurt Locker? Yeah. I reckon there'd be a I reckon there'd be heaps. Like, seriously. Well, people forget you like that. That's, like, people that's like, exactly right. People, like, you know, like when you see hillbillies go around and go, born in the USA. Yeah, you know, yeah. and they, they, I'm like, do you get the irony of it? Uh, we, but, yeah. I remember in school there's, and probably every school's got one or two of them, which is there are students who are just so connected with the military. Yes. In a really unhealthy way. That all they want to do is leave school and join the army. Yep. That's all they want to do. And on the flip side, there are students who actually see it as a career move and a real intelligent stepping stone. But there's always one student that you know just wants to get out there and shoot a gun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can know that it's just the adrenaline for them. And but it, they don't understand that there's a discipline behind it. That's as well. exactly right. And I think a movie like Hurt Locker hits all the right marks for that person. Yeah. And they miss the, the, the subcontext, yeah, which exactly. is the war is a drug. Yeah. You know, they think it as a, oh, yes, the war is a drug and I want it. Yeah, it's a good drug. But no. missing the subtext of the film. Um, so as Bowl researches the backstory of the raid, he begins hearing rumours of a female targeter who had been working for over a decade behind the scenes for the CIA in the search for Bin Laden. So this knowledge brought the shift that they needed for the film. Suddenly everyone was excited for the project because they had that connector yeah. from the attacks to the victory. Yeah. And... Uh, Bigelow was really excited and for Bigelow letting go of the Tora Bora film was actually really hard. Bol knew once that Bin Laden had been assassinated, the project was dead. But Bigelow had to be convinced to let it go because she loved the story so much. Um, so once they had the idea of the character of Maya, then suddenly they're like, yes, we've got something great. Bigelow loved the fact that in what is such a masculine ed to the film, yeah. The legwork was done by females. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I do I love Jessica Chastain. Oh, Jessica Chastain is an amazing actress, man. Isn't she? She what? just comes just and just blows away the screen. Yeah. She really is. You can't you can't not take your eyes off her in it. Yeah, exactly. Um so the the film had the working title of Killing Bin Laden. Oh, cool. 
Cool, cool. Which scared a few people. That would. In would. Sony pictures. <laughs> you can imagine Killing, killing Bin Laden <laughs> would not look great Sounds on like a poster. Film. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty horrible. It's a bit on the nose, yeah, I've heard it described. Um, so after five months of writing, Mark Bowl finishes Zero Dark Thirty. And so Bigelow begins the massive task then of putting together an ensemble cast. This is a film that takes place over 10 years. Yeah. Um, and props to Bigelow. She puts together an ensemble cast, which again we'll talk a bit later, that they're all relatively unknown actors. Yeah. But all amazing character actors. Oh, superb character actors. Superb. It's a bit sad. I watched this and I was like, I wish Philip Seymour Hoffman was here. Oh. You could just imagine him being like a Gandolfini, or yep, you, you know that sort of character. Uh, yeah. In this. Oh yeah, he would have been. He would have even been great as the station chief. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So good. Um, and there's also a real depth to each of those characters. That w- the more I read, you could really we could spend hours talking about individual characters within this film. Yeah. Like even to the extent of there's. The uh, CIA leader that Jason Clark goes to talk to, who's actually preying on a mat. Yeah, exactly. And we only meet him for about three minutes in the yeah. film. And there is the story of a CIA like leader who actually converted to Islam while working over there, and the controversy that surrounded someone leading, like having influence within the the spheres of trying to hunt down people that were terrorists while practicing Islam was really quite controversial with that. But that that happens amongst so many characters within this film. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like you could give a film to each of them. Yeah, they just, they add a little speck to the um, character that makes you just go, man, they're so full. Yeah, it's great writing, isn't it? It's superb writing. It really is. So um, Catherine Bigelow really wanted Jessica Chastain for the role of Maya. Yep. Especially she'd been given an early cut of the movie uh, Coriolanus. Yes. And so based upon that early cut, not even the final cut, Bigelow was like, I need her to be my Maya. Now, Chastain was actually not interested in the project, project and declined it, Just to which dang, they Jessie. went out and they hired Rooney Mara as Maya. Oh, really? Now... Rooney Mara had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. Now, 2012, I'm throwing it out there, Craig. Nah, it's earlier. I was going to say maybe it was Girl with the Dragon Tattoo time. But I feel that might have been a year earlier. Maybe a year earlier. But she had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. Yeah, no. Not sure what that was. So then Bigelow reaches out to the producer, Megan Ellison. She was running Annapurna Pictures. Yep. And basically said, hey, I really want Jessica Chastain for this film, this role. I think she's perfect. You've worked with her on John Hillcoat's Lawless before. Yay! Do you have any way I can get in touch with her? To which Megan Ellison gives her uh, Catherine Chast- uh, Jessica Chastain's phone number. Yep. And Bigelow personally calls her. Now, obviously, this is a big budget film, and a director like Catherine Bigelow doesn't personally call every cast member to say, "Hell no." Hello, would you like to be she in one movie? Just wanted Bigelow for best director. That's exactly right. So there are people doing this work for yeah. her while she's probably storyboarding the heck out of this, making sure the story's all locked in. So 
she calls personally and to which Jessica Chastain accepts the role. Mm-hmm. Now, they also signed Joel Edgerton in a lead role. And it's rumoured that he was to play Jason Clark's character. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but Edgerton had to drop out because of scheduling conflicts. And it wasn't until much later in the piece when it came towards filming that Edgerton's schedule had actually opened up again and he was able to be a part of the film in his very small role as mm. in the SEAL team. His brother's in there too. His brother's sitting in the background. Callum Mulvey's in there. Yeah, I know. They're all there. Drazic makes the shot. <laughs> he makes the shot. Um, it's a good Aussie, sh- good Aussie gang. Yeah, it is a good Aussie gang. Um, so, But that's why I remember thinking when I first saw the film, oh, man, that's Joel Edgerton. He's off the back of Warrior where he's like massive at this point and like, well, really rising up. And I'm like, this is such a small role for him. And your brain goes, sometimes actors take a small role with a major director. director. Let's say Channing Tatum took a small role with Michael Mann for Public Enemies. Yeah. And he was huge at that time. He, and took, he took a small role with Tarantino. Tarantino in Hateful Eight. Mm. Tiny role there. So... They do that because they know if they can hit the right mark in those small roles with a big director, mm. that then other big directors will come knocking. Yeah, exactly. And so I thought, oh, maybe that's the case. But then learning this, you go, oh, well, oh, well Edgerton just there. wanted to be a part of the project in any way, shape or form. Obviously, they hire Chris Pratt for a role as well. He's still a relatively unknown. He's trying to break out of that parks and recreation yeah. mold. And you can see he shaped up pretty good Yeah, they shaped film. him up pretty well. Uh, he went off and did a whole heap of training yeah. with them. And there's a funny story. He was in a boot camp with Navy oh SEALs. Yeah. And there's an obstacle course that they do where you have to climb over things and you're jumping through things, swimming through puddles. And one of the, the parts they hit is ice water. And <laughs> he gave up at the ice water. He's like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Just like quit mid obstacle course. Ice water's fucking hard. Yeah. To <laughs> so Have you ever like, done that? Nope, I've got no intention. Oh of doing man, it, I did the um. Did you do the, the raw challenge? Stampede. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And they had they had Valley they had Stampede. All those. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And they had. Did all they have of that. the electrified things? Yeah. Did I, you run through it? I ran the electrified one. They took it out the year after. Oh wow! Did it hurt? Fucking, <laughs> it's weird. It it's right at the end, so. You've just really you just explain the Valley Stampede to people. So the just Valley so Stampede, it's like, like what um, are these idiots talking so about? the Valley Stampede is a you can do a five, ten, or twenty. Well, the raw one is twenty. Yeah. Um, kilometer uh, marathon where you actually have to go through all of these um, these things, like sort of like Navy SEALs. You have to go through all these obstacle courses. So yep. you're climbing up over shit. You're climbing up ropes and stuff like Muddy that. Muddy puddles everywhere. Yeah, exactly. You usually do it as a team. I do it by myself. Yeah. Uh, because I just... I did it like four years in a row. Uh, There's no I in team, but there is in Craig. Oh, I just... I just would just run by myself. Because I, <laughs> I, I... The teams that invited me would to go, there was always like a dude in there who I'd know would be just fucking behind me going, Come on, man! Oh, Bring it together! I and reckon I'd, that's why I've not done it. Exactly. And I'd just be like... Oh, 
and I just really like to play. I just in want mud. to have a good time. Exactly the same, and that's what I did. I'd go and play in the mud. I'd you know splashing around <laughs> in the mud. It was just fun doing all that stuff, and I just you know want you know I wandered my way through the course. Yeah. Was and it was your one the one? Did they also have the pipe? And so you had to swim down into the pipe and up, and the sort of like. Yes. I know there was one that yes, had a there pipe. Yes, there was one. That you swam, you climbed into the pipe, and then there was like a whole section that was submerged. So you had no. to sort of pull yourself through a submerged there a, pipe. There was there was a pipe that was mostly submerged. Yeah. And it was mudded, and it was just at the end it was just mud. Oh, so, okay. And one of the main things is to do these courses, you have to try to do the early ones. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, everything's mud. So all <laughs> the course is mud. Everything is just mud. It's hard to do it. Because um, I used to do because um, one of the years I did it because I was Beyond Blue. I was one of the Yeah, Blue okay, cool. Because they actually do the things there. And so you, as payment from Beyond Blue, you get to run the course free. Oh, cool. Um, but, but at the end, what was at the at end the before so the finish at line? At the end, you basically go through the ice. So you yep. jump into the ice bucket and it's obviously up to your neck. Yeah. Um, like this huge vat. Go, but halfway as you're walking across this vat, there's planks of wood. And so you actually have to duck up under Ooh, the So you go right under. Right under, man. And your body just dies. <laughs> your body just dies. And, you, and you're trying to pull yourself out, but it just won't listen to you. And you pull yourself out and then you just get out and your body's just in shock. And then there's the electric shock. So they're just these dangling cords. It was probably about it probably about 15, 20 metres worth of yeah. dangling. They look like exposed wires. Yeah. But you're such a hard motherfucker by this time. <laughs> you're just... It's, uh, 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 uh. it's just like being punched. Like you're not oh, actually... Okay. Feeling, so it's just quick jabs to your whole parts of your body. And so your body's just jiggling and jiggling as you go through. I, I remember some friends and did it like and a dude passed out, one of their teammates passed out. Makes sense. And they had to go and th- back through the electrical bit mm. while they were getting zapped to carry him yeah. across the finish line. I, it totally makes sense, man. I could see some people dying. Yeah, it's like you sign it's pretty a crazy. huge form. I bet you do. Um, before you even go on. I think that. that was the same one as well, that there was a section where the hay bales were on fire. And you had to run through, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were all on fire. Around yeah, you. That, the worst bit about that was smoke. Yeah, that was just that was at the start. Oh man, so that was so near crazy. the start. The hay bales, stuff like that. <laughs> awesome oh, fun, man. Huge respect, Craig, for doing it. Good no, man. You. Seriously, if the 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 only ones they do now are like this twenty. They do that pom. Spartan one, don't they? Yeah, yeah. The and Spartan just, one's pretty full on. And I want to basically. I'll probably actually. I should look into. I might do it again this year. Yeah, I know they do have one on the Central Coast. That's yeah, that's where, most, that's, where, that's where the most of it is, yeah. So, Craig, they also rumoured for the film was to have Tom Hardy in a role. That'd be awesome. Idris Elba. Awesome. And Guy Pearce. I'm surprised he wasn't. Yeah, me too. Now, the Tom Hardy role actually ended up going to Mark Strong. Hey! I love Mark I, Strong. I prefer Mark Strong. Me too. I like think in that role? Tom Hardy... After his career later, he's less of a character actor and more of a leading man. Yeah. So you'd probably be a bit distracted but by But he him. seems so young. Yeah, yeah. And when Mark Strong really cuts loose and he's like demanding answers. That's awesome. Is like, you believe it. I love Mark Strong. Yeah, me too. I love Mark Strong too. Um, so with casting in place, they actually head off to India where they film. That's, did that where they filmed? Yeah, filmed it in India. Which borders with Pakistan. Makes a lot of sense. And like Hurt Locker, 
there was a lot of film shot. Oh, it would be. Now, for those and who didn't, didn't listen, obviously tell everyone all the time because they're always looking at the camera. Yeah, they, they are through, just extras. Staring at the, people are just like, oh, there's a camera. There's a camera. And supposedly through some of the scenes, one of them is that big market scene. Yeah. Um, they actually had decoy camera crews running around in there to throw people off so that they would look at the decoys rather than the other ones. Makes sense. Um, so back to our Hurt Locker episode last week. Now, they actually had uh, so much footage filmed for Hurt Locker that it was an eight-month process to edit the film. Now, Zero Dark Thirty wasn't where they learnt a lesson on less is more. Yeah. They actually thought, well, we did really well with so much footage of Hurt Locker. Let's do some more for Zero Dark release a big like cut. <laughs> they shot so, so much footage. Comes, he comes back and then they attack <laughs> him again. That's Chris right. Pat That's joins right. the Guardians. and <laughs> <laughs> They actually shot so much more footage, Frank Craig. Grillo footage. Do you reckon there's more, more Frank Grillo, Grillo footage? Yes, release the Grillo cut. Release the Grillo cut. Release the Grillo cut. Um, it's where it stops in the middle. And we watch him and Joel Edgerton have an MMA fight. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, there's so much footage that was actually a ratio for every one minute we watched on screen. They filmed 100 minutes of footage. Fuck. So if Hurt Locker was an eight-month journey to edit the film, yep. there would probably be a good 12 months worth of editing true. to be done here. Very true. Now, I think that they made that a bit more refined because the film more really money. turned around from script to release within about 12 to 18 months. Oh, damn. So they really turn it around quite She um, probably has massively. a lot more in place now to do it a lot quicker. Yeah, I think so too. And learning from, they brought in Bob Morawski, who was a big name editor to yep. work on the film she Everyone actually brought more. in some massive editors for this film so she brought in william goldenberg who has worked with michael mann since before the insider cool so just really worked quite damn good. prolifically uh nearly every film has it and when you think about it i kept thinking of michael mann's ali at the uh, way that the footage was sort of shot it is yes um, yes and it makes a lot of sense because it's the the same editor Working throughout it. He also was really prolific. Goldenberg has worked a lot with Ben Affleck from like Gone Baby Gone all the way through. Um, so, And there is an aesthetic again, which is strange because it's not cinematography we're talking about. We're talking about editing. But there's a, a real I, aesthetic that there is a feels the same. Across them all. Um, they also partnered Goldenberg with a, an editor called uh, Dylan Tickner. And Tickner has worked with... Paul Thomas Anderson throughout his career. Oh, wow. That's and, a weird And um, also did films like Brokeback Mountain with Ang Lee, a whole heap of Westerns. Awesome. So brought in two really big name editors yep. to, to work on this film. Now, filming was pretty crazy. They had a large budget, $45 million. Yep. And they do stretch that quite well across the film. Superbly. Now, so much so, and Craig actually reinforced this with some stuff he sent me last night, which I <laughs> loved, which is those scenes with the two helicopters. They actually built two working replicas of the stealth helicopters. Yeah. And blew one up <laughs> for those scenes. And... That compound was built literally to scale based upon maps they were given. Fantastic. Of hey. Osama Bin Laden's compound. And um, 
they were really shocked because the um, set designer was brought in, had done only some TV work and a couple of short films. And it was an Australian set designer. I wish I'd written their name down. Uh, so apologies if you're listening. But Wayne. 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 Good job. Mike Hunt. They did such a great job at the set design that people were just shocked at how realistic the footage looked compared to the footage from the Navy scene. Man, it's just a person who's going, man, this is my big shot. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stuff this up. Definitely. Now for the Bin Laden compound scene, they actually shot the entire thing twice. Ooh. So they shot all the moonlit stuff. So the stuff that we watch that's quite dark and Craig and I off air talked about how dark that, actually is yeah that's because it's naturally lit by the moon oh is it really yeah oh good because some of it i thought it was that crazy darkening yeah i hate it when they do that i know which is like daytime and then they green yeah and so darkish green they shot all the moonlit stuff which you get that grainy aesthetic over it um but then they also shot the entire thing through the point of view with the night vision goggles Oh. So then they could edit they that could footage that all between it. Now, I do love the links that, like, you can't get those beautiful night vision moments yeah. that are so gripping when we're in that compound without strange days. You know, the point of view stuff is actually really crucial. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it is. And um, I want to get there a bit later. We'll talk about how I think this feels more like a Bigelow film than Hurt Locker does. Yeah, definitely. So we'll get there a bit later on. So the film gets released at a limited release in December 19, uh, 2012. Yep. And based upon that, it opened in five cinemas and did about $400,000 in five cinemas on its limited release. That's good. And then opens wide a month later in January 2013 and takes $132 million worldwide. Boom! Huge. Probably proof that... Maybe the Hurt Locker would have made a lot more money if it had a major distributor yeah. rather than Summit. But with the backing of Sony, this film, and obviously the fact that it was nominated for five Oscars. Did it win any? It won one, which was sound editing. Oh, yeah. Makes it sense. tied with Skyfall. Oh, really? So they shared the Oscar. Really? Which I'd Is love to know. Well, it was because it happened. I'd never heard of it happening until I read it. And I was uh, like, what, what in the world? What's going on? So it was actually nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound Editing, and Best Film Editing. Ooh, I'd like to know what won those. Well, I can tell you now if you want. Tell me right now. Tell me why. Tell um, me why. The tell Best me. Film for what was the 2013 Academy Awards, because obviously they take place in like January, February. Yep. Was... Best film was Argo. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. Oh! Ben Affleck one. No, I don't agree with that, actually. Best director was Ang Lee for Life of Pi. Yeah, I agree with that. Best actor was Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln. I can't argue with Daniel Day-Lewis. Best best female actor? There was no actor in there. There was no actor. That year? Yeah. Uh, Best female actor was Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. And she's Ooh. pretty incredible in that film. Yeah. but yeah, She's pretty incredible, but it's a I very forgetful movie. It is. And it's interesting because I actually think, thinking forward, 
I don't think Argo is a forgettable movie. I actually no. really love Argo as a film. But Jessica Chastain's performance in this film is so layered and so textured. I picked up more that she's it's so physical. Yeah. Like she actually looks drawn out yep. by the end. Yeah. And there's actually, we'll go there now. Um, so there's some really interesting things and we sort of touched on it a bit last week. We're going to get into controversies as well, Craig, because there's a lot of controversy. Yeah, I like controversy. Um, but we touched on it a bit last week in The Hurt Locker, which is this is a new season of Catherine Bigelow. She's now in partnership with Mark Bowl. Yeah. He's really come out of nowhere for a lot of people in Hollywood. Yeah. And in Pissing the past... a lot of people off. Yeah, and this is the problem is he's seen as quite an abrasive person. He's now an Academy Award winning abrasive person. Awesome. So he's not just an abrasive he can hit person. You with a gold statue. Well, he's a he's an abrasive person with a bit of power and clout now. Yeah. Probably a bit more confidence than he had in the past. Um so a lot of rumors came out after the release of this film from set talking about how hands on Mark Bowl was as a writer. Now he's also listed as a producer on this film. And it is rumoured that he would constantly be involved with the setup of shots and also be involved with giving direction to the actors on how they should work within some scenes. Wow. So much so, especially in those torture scenes in the start of the film, he really pushed Jessica Chastain to be something. And the rumour was that it was actually at odds with what Catherine Bigelow was telling Jessica Chastain to do. Oh. And there's a scene in it where Chastain has come out and said that the filming of those torture scenes was so gruelling and emotionally draining that she's meant to be this stoic, strong person not responding to any of it going on and she just broke and had to leave and just bawled her eyes out because it was so real watching mm. this man. And what you're watching is pretty hard to watch. Oh, yeah, it would be. It's really difficult. And so there are scenes where you can actually see it looks like her eyes are red and she's uh, because she has been crying. The rumours coming out were that it was actually Bowles' conflicting request for Chastain that broke her. Oh, okay. And, um, and so... It started having people ask the question, like, one, who is Mark Bowl? Yeah. And why does he already have so much power on set with Catherine Bigelow? Yeah. The rumour was starting to come out that she was so shy that he was being her voice a lot of the time. Again, poor Bigelow has faced throughout her career people... Yeah, see, saying I don't think people would say this if it was a male director. No, I don't think so either, Craig. That's they oh, would actually he had talk a about collaborator. It. That's exactly right. He worked right. with his in crew. partnership. Yeah. So it's really hard to know. Obviously, there are two sides to every story. I believe no. You don't believe it? I look. It's Catherine Bigelow, man. Yeah. If anything, she's proven that she can put shit together and fucking make it work. This is true. You know what I mean? Like, and that she's. And most shoots are very difficult. And she's not to be stuffed around. Yeah, totally. I think Bowl was probably, obviously, being a naturally abrasive character. Yeah. But he's also very, very. And you can tell this in, I guess, Hurt Locker. I guess I'll assume in. um, Detroit. Detroit. And you'll see in Zero Duck, see it in this film, is he's very meticulous in detail yeah 
and I think he has a view to what his script is. Yes. Because once again, remember, he wrote this script with Bigelow. Yes. He never brought this script in. So this is a script that already has a lot of um, visuals that him and Bigelow thought up. Yes. And so he would probably come into the set basically going, no, this is what we want yeah. to see because Bigelow, yeah, totally. Bigelow and I wrote this friggin' bit. And we've you know, been, and I've been watching her storyboard. Stories, I've been friggin' details and stuff like that. No. I don't believe it is that much. I, I think, like and it, Craig. I think there's, there's some people who are just like, no. You are on it. Of course I'm on it. I I'm, love I, it. I know this shit. I know this shit. You're I know like... Biggs, man. She's not smaller, Lou. I'm <laughs> 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 so dumb. I crack myself up. <laughs> smaller, Lou. I love it. Now, Craig, we're going to talk a little bit of controversy around the film. Controversy. I love controversy. Now, I'm sorry if we step on some toes. I know you've got a little few things Ooh, for I have a little us few later. Things burning down, yeah. But there's actually been quite a lot of allegations thrown at this film. Awesome. I love allegations. Now, a big one that really came out, which even before the film started shooting, um, obviously Barack Obama's in, in, in power at the time. And a lot of people started being concerned that the creation of this film was actually being made to glorify Osama, um, not Osama, Barack, <laughs> Barack Obama in the lead-up to elections. Man, he is barely in this movie. I know. I know. So His name is barely even said either. What's interesting, though, is Zero Dark Thirty was originally scheduled to have an October 2012 release. Yep. Too with close the presiden- presidential elections... To commence in November. Yep. So for a lot of people, this would be look at the crowning glory of Barack Obama, yep. which is he caught the person. We got him. Had him killed. And now let's get him be our president again. Especially there was to come was a lot of talk about his heritage. You know, Poor old Barack Obama had to face all that. So, yeah. um, so there's the his first name one. Is Hussein. It is. It is. Now Sony denied in the lead up to the release that politics were a factor in all of this. Yep. Um, and they just listed that it was the best available spot for an action thriller in a pretty crowded year. Very crowded. Twenty twelve. And when we talk what was released in twenty twelve, you will see it's quite a large year for film. Um, and. Mark Bowl came out and just said, just letting you know, the president's not depicted in the movie at all. He's just not in the movie. Yeah. So, which we literally see his face on a news screen. That's it. And, and there's a small reference that he might be updating the president. That's exactly right. That's it. And so the Columbia... If anything, the higher-ups look like dickheads. They sure do. Yeah. They look in the dark, not really caring about It's really about your soprano, like yeah, obviously yeah, James Gandolfini... Who all he says, why can't we put a camera in this tree? Yeah. And you see everyone just go, uh, uh, that wouldn't work. They would see the camera. Yes. <laughs> um, so That's just a toy. Obviously, <laughs> Sony and Columbia Pictures. How uh, could he fit in that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're quite sensitive to political perceptions. Yes. They don't want any controversy upon its release. And so they reschedule the film for a late, 2012, mm-hmm. early 2013 release. Obviously, smartly, limited release to build up some yep. some momentum going wide, knowing that in the lead-up to the Oscars, this would be a real 
big one. Um, so, and obviously when it's released, a lot of people realise this is far from a Obama propaganda film. Yeah, exactly. Now, the big one that started coming out and continued on till about 2014, 2015 is allegations of access to classified Man. information in Which order to make see. this film. Um they actually and they played on it in the in the release of the film. Uh, we put the poster up on our social media this week, which is they played it in the first part of the film. They totally do, don't they? Mm. Um, and so the poster that ended up being distributed by Sony was a white poster with the word Zero Dark Thirty scrubbed out in texter. Yep. Um, awesome. Yeah, I do. There's a couple of those redacted posters. You just get, yep. that's good shit. Have you seen, random little side note here, Craig, have you seen the movie Hidden Figures? No. Oh, man, it's so good. Is it really? It's seriously so good. It's on Disney+. Plus. We watched it recently. Um, but there's this awesome scene where uh, they're being asked to work on math problems. It's about um, Octavia Spencer's in there, Taraj P. Henson. Mm. And Taraj P. Henson is like a, a mathematician who's working on the calculations for the... The, the orbit around the earth and um, she's asked to do math based on information that has been redacted so a lot of the time she doesn't have the full information in order to do the equations oh. so at one point she takes the piece of paper and holds it up in the air and realises that she can still see the typewriter <laughs> through it even though they put a black texture on there so when I see that Zero Dark Thirty it reminds me of that now because there's a scene where they're like how did she find out about this classified information and she's like I held the paper up to the light and then like <laughs> NASA's got to go we need to think of a better way of hiding this information because anyone can see this um, that was the NASA is for NASA wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah it's incredible um, the, the true, st- true story of three uh, black women Mm. who were crucial to America's space race. Um, Taraj P. Henson does the equations. Octavia Spencer leads a group of women who would basically, um, they worked in a department that was doing admin and clerical work. And NASA put were getting prepared to put the first computers in. And so they knew that once the computers were installed, they would all be out of jobs, basically, because the computers would do all these factors and stuff. And so Octavia Spencer teaches herself how to operate these massive IBM computers and actually takes her whole team, upskills them into these computers. So they would be the first people. And she became what's considered one of the greatest minds in computing for NASA. Wow. Um, You know who's considered another great mind in NASA engineering? Tell me, Craig. Jack Black's mum. What? <laughs> so Jack Black's mum is considered one of the was like a milestone figure in NASA engineering. Yeah, and wow. And um, and his brother is is like exactly the same, like groundbreaking person. Really? Really? Yeah. So Jack Black is literally the least impressive person in his family. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? He's so impressive, though, isn't he? <laughs> so, just getting back to the um, the. <laughs> sorry to take us on that little sidebar. No, I it's like fun. sidebar. Little tangents here and there. It's good times. But basically, the allegations of the the classified information uh, came while the movie was being filmed. Yeah, people were starting to go. Well, how do they? How are they making this movie <laughs> with all this classified <laughs> information? 
And it's actually gone as far as in 2015, CIA released some information out to the world. Yeah. And it turns out that Mark Boll was contacted within, was in a room within days of the the assassination. Yeah. So he was actually in a room with the CIA agents. He was actually present at briefings that he should never have been at Ooh. about it all. Um, so that was a big, a big thing that then people claimed that the Obama government were allowing access into this. Again, feeding into the propaganda lies. Um, The film also had allegations of a pro-torture stance because obviously that opening 20 minutes of the film is insanely hard to watch. And last but not least... And that's a very big... I'm just looking through my notes. There's a lot of notes. And then, as mentioned before, they also had quite a lot of um, controversy around the, the usage of the audio from the 9-11 um, phone calls and things like that. Love the lawsuit. <laughs> Again, if you're working around controversy... If you, you, you don't have to work around controversy. How is freaking Joan of Arc a controversy? That was like a controversy like 300 years ago. Yeah. Yet she still got caught in a lawsuit. Yep. Totally. Totally. So, Craig, do you want to hear what was released in 2012? Yeah, for sure. The number one film for 2012 was a tiny little billion dollar film called The Avengers. Boo! I cried at that. Number two, Skyfall. Still haven't seen it. What? I told you, man, I'm not this... I don't like this Bond. He's a thug. Craig. He's a thug. Skyfall is a great Bond film. Thug. you got to watch it. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> you do love your Pierce, don't you? <laughs> oh, Goldeneye, Craig. man, you'll never top it. Pierce. Pierce <laughs> off, Craig. Uh, number three was the conclusion to the Dark Knight series with the Dark Knight Rises. It's been a little while. It's been a little while, and that's probably... Tom Hardy's probably gone off to be Bane instead of being this film. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's been Born a little while since I, I watched Dark Knight Rises and a couple of friends recently have been Check like, theatrics. it's actually quite good. And it, so is, it is quite I'll good. I'll have to go back it's and quite revisit good. There's just some really weird shit that doesn't need to be in there, like all the cops in the fucking tunnels. and Yeah. What's your name? Mildborn Robin. <laughs> do you <laughs> know, that, do you think there would be a... Um, a Nolan cut? A Nolan cut. I think he gets every cut. I don't if you know. just see with Tenet and everything like that. Oh, I believe it. For the Tenet. man has just fucking control over Freaking everything. Love Tenet. Everything. I love Tenet and I think so he much. had too much control, if anything, over Dark Knight Rises. I'll go, I really should. Maybe in the little break between seasons, I'll revisit. I'll go on a Nolan run again. Actually, that might be just a movie that you and I should do in between seasons. A Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, Dark Knight Rises. Oh, on, hit us up. If you want to hear a Dark Knight Rises episode between seasons. I'd be seasons. interested because that's something I'd like to revisit too. Yes, let's do it, Craig. Let's Done. do it without the context of the trilogy too. Perfect. So good. Perfect. Love it. We're locked in. You'll hear Done. it here. But you can't watch one or two Exclusive. in the lead up. Exclusive. No one or no, two. No, I won't. I'll go straight to three. Like you said, yeah. Straight Out of context. Just blind Love me. it. That'd be perfect. Because I think that was one of the problem things that hurt. Because I watched one and two just before I went to the movies. Oh, man. And let's talk about, just quickly, uh, Batman Begins is almost the perfect origin story. Yes. Dark Knight is like the perfect... Follow-up. Follow-up to that film. And, and also the perfect fucking Batman film. Oh, wasn't it ever? Like... I still yeah. watch. I still watch. Maybe Cut I need Shot. to watch that 
Sorry, Craig. I, I still watch clips of it. That's <laughs> so. That's what reminds me of um, watching Hurt Locker bringing it back to Cat Bigelow. Is when that dude has the um, bomb in his stomach. He, yep. in Yeah. Dark yeah. Night. It made me think of Dark Knight as well with the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I just want to make a phone call. Heath Ledger is so good in that. I did what I read too the other day about it. Uh, it's so funny. We're on a little Nolan tangent, but I'm really on the Nolan train. I know again. you're a Nolan. Um, we know that. We know I love him as a filmmaker. I think he's an amazing filmmaker. Um, attention. The pencil, the disappearing pencil trick, yeah. was a physical stunt. Oh, really? Where the stuntman would have his head pushed down to an actual pencil and at the last minute someone would swipe the pencil away. Like pull the pencil away. That's not very funny at all. So crazy, right? Surely it's like that makes no damn sense <laughs> whatsoever. So crazy. Ah, uh, Craig, the number four film for two thousand. Get one of those squishy pens. You know where the uh, there was that one <laughs> fucking kid at school who thought he was really cool because he got a show bag that had a fucking twisty pen. <laughs> Just get one of those fucking little twisty soft pens. <laughs> show bag. Yeah, well, Went to the Royal East. That's show. where you got those stupid shit from. The show bags because we didn't have dollar shops back. I never got the silly ones. I was always the Birdie Beetle bag oh, <laughs> and the Hubba Bubba bag. God, I so remember that. And then you always go to that person's house and. You'd see some random dad always had that fucking licorice bag. And you go, Ugh, is this your dad's? Yeah, he likes licorice. You go, Ugh, and there's a picture He's of a like, fucking licorice hey, train on the front. Hey, mate. Hey, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the the train. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And he'd always go, hey, mate, want a chalky bullet? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he's trying to forget, like he's trying to sell you a drug because he, he just needs friends because no one else <laughs> likes him because licorice people are just fucking like one in a hundred. What about an all sort? <laughs> what an all sort? <laughs> and there would always be those weird... <laughs> <laughs> he pulls out one of those little licorice sticks and just fucking just doing it like he's out of the Little Rascals or some shit. And you're always just like, your dad's weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> He'd always have that bag. And it had, they looked like little black domes covered in sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that uh, weird licorice bag, Dad. <laughs> fucking, they're everywhere, man. They're fucking everywhere. And Jeff and I grew up in total different parts of New South Wales. <laughs> Speaking of bag, Dad, should we get back to zero? No, oh, <laughs> boom. Jeff, fuck, that was good, man. That was You're good. Welcome. I'm here all night. <laughs> I'm here all night. Um, the number four film. Watch it on Stan. Pakistan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was on Stan. Oh, what's it? Yeah, oh, yeah. that's awesome. I started it. Okay, I started it on binge and then paused it, and the next day came back to it. I thought I'll start it all over again, and then it was gone off binge. I was like, "What do I do?" It's on Stan. <laughs> just reminded me of a stupid joke I thought of last <laughs> night when I was watching it. When, when, when they're like, "Oh, people who don't like um don't like this religion," they say Islamabad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went. Fuck, that was dumb. <laughs> you know when you just, you're even just like critiquing yourself. There you go. Sorry, guys. Get on. I love that every now and then there is a joke you drop that you're so proud of it, but no one else is <laughs> responding the way you know. I'm proud of that one, I'm proud of that. Good one, Craig. Lame or bad? But I still think yours is Baghdad. Let's bring, let's bring it back to Baghdad. <laughs> uh, the number four film for 2012 was Peter Jackson's The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Oh, it was unexpected. It's a grower. It, yeah, it is. Oh, well, I've still got it. it on the 4K. I've got to watch it. I just haven't. Do it. Do it. Number five was Ice Age, Continental Drift. Man, is there an, like Ice Age movie every time we talk <laughs> about fucking movies? Probably. I didn't even 
realise there was that many Ice Age movies, <laughs> but it just seems like every list we pull out, there's an Ice Age movie. And they always say, I like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just what's going on. You do. I you do, do say do. it. Ray Romano, man, it's his best role. Not, no. John Dennis Leary. John he hasn't worked in anything since Operation Dumbo Drop or <laughs> Ice Age. Fire, fire Rescue? Oh, he's rescue, on that TV rescue show. Me, rescue Man. Uh, number six was The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. Fuck yeah. <laughs> you classic. love it, Craig. They should have won the Oscars. The fucking Argo. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. about Robert Pattinson. Did you see Taylor Lautner in part two? Forget <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, yeah. Best actor. Taylor Best Lord, actor. Man, just amazing. Hey, amazing. number seven. I loved, him, I loved him ever since Shark Boy. <laughs> Was he Shark Boy? Shark Boy and Lava Girl, yeah. yeah. Totally, Craig, well played. Number seven, The Amazing Spider-Man, Mark ah, Webbs. I loved it. I like Andrew Garfield man, as the Spider-Man. Seriously, it was great. He was actually, actually came out the other day and said no one's contacted him yet. Oh, he's a bit coy in I it, though. They, they use the words coy. Yep. Coy? He's being coy. playing coy. coy. He's yeah. playing coy. Uh, number eight was at Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. I thought that was hilarious. It's. I think it's the I best one of the I three. Think, yeah, it is. It is the funniest of the three. That's the one that's actually written by... Um, I think it's Noah Baumbach who wrote The Squid and the Whale. Oh, yeah, So it's sense. like it's like a legit good writer for this yeah. film, which is and really strange. Spins you out how a, like a draft's going to bang a hippo. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see oh, that. Yeah, that's I don't the see same as you watch like, Shrek. You know. Someone at DreamWorks has a real affinity for cross-species breeding because you go to Shrek and suddenly there's a dragon having babies with donkeys. And that's all. Yeah, look, you know, at least you know there's a hole big enough, man. It's just but basically... <laughs> oh, <laughs> donkeys... God. Hey, a donkeys are renowned for having Donks. <laughs> That's, they're not called PPEs. <laughs> they're called donkeys. <laughs> okay. So yes, you can see that. Got oh and, and obviously, you know, he's a, he's a, he's he's Eddie Murphy, so he's an African American donkey, so it's probably bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, yeah. And they like <laughs> they like big butts, and they cannot lie. <laughs> you other brothers can't deny it when a <laughs> dragon pings with the wind in your face. <laughs> the number nine film. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just get us banned? Yeah, oh my gosh. We had so much cred for this episode until now. Sorry, man. Well played. Sorry, well, well played. played. Sorry, well played. I was going to make a coming to America joke, but I backed off. Uh, <laughs> number nine. Strangely, I think this is quite low, but number nine was The Hunger Games. Oh, really? We we just finished watching Hunger Games. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. first one is a cracking Yeah, film. first and second are good, and then obviously once it gets into... Outside of the home. I've not seen the last two, so I've got good. them there. They're good. They're just like nothing. The it's just sad, you know. Seeing yeah, it fucking hurts me. Number ten was Men in Black Three. Still haven't seen it. Well, Even though I see Josh Brolin, I go man, that looks good amazing. fun. Now we've actually already talked about two other films in 2012 on this podcast. Awesome. Going all the way back to season one, we talked Robert Zemeckis's Flight. Oh. With Denzel Washington, great film. Yep, uh, and we also talked Joe Carnahan's The Grey. Oh wow! Yeah, so they are two Frank cracking Grillo films. Was, hey, yeah, he was busy. He, he was, was busy. busy. Well, he, he was huge in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, he, do you know what? If you didn't have the resolution up on or the brightness up on your screen, oh, you man. wouldn't even you know wouldn't he was even there. Know it. Yeah, exactly. I heard the voice before I picked the face. I was like, oh, Frank Grillo. Oh, because he says something that the ducks away, and you're like, yeah. I'm like, is that, is that Frank Grillo? Yeah, totally. totally. He did well in it. He though. looks sleepy. Uh, also released was Snow White and the Huntsman. Ooh. Good fun. Yeah. 21 Jump Street. 
I love that movie. Me too. I love the sequel too. Korean Jesus, man. Fuck, that's funny. <laughs> Korean <laughs> Jesus is so good. <laughs> that that's seriously I that's that's one of my two favorite films of just out and out wacky, just disgusting. <laughs> wacky one liners. Yeah, throughout just disgusting it. comedy. I love it. So love good. It. Uh also released was Josh Trank's Chronicle. Man, what a Damn good film good that film. was, hey. Michael B. Jordan comes Michael burst Danny, through. Dan DeHart, man. You know, I love yep. that dude, man. Uh, Ridley Scott released Prometheus. I haven't seen it. You need to revisit it. Have or I you need it? to visit it. No, I have seen it. You Which have. You can play yeah, Prometheus yeah, is his one. first reboot. Yeah. yeah, not the second one. Of the sorry. series. Um, the Raid Redemption was released. Yeah. One of my personal favorites. Cabin in the Woods. Hey, love year. it, love it. Paranorman. I love You know, I love I know you do. You love that movie. I love them, man. I love them. I just could sit and watch them all day. Oliver Stone released Savages. Man, I was watching bits of that the other day. Because I loved it. I loved it. Aaron Taylor Johnson is so good in that movie. Yeah, it's funny. It's a a role that should have got him further. But hey, maybe Tennant will. I think he's he's got such presence in that film. I think um, there's a superhero waiting for him. Oh, I definitely. He's just got to have enough time passed so he's not the kick-ass guy. Yeah. Oh well, he's got that. He's bulked up though. He looks very manly. But though. he's he's got that um, DiCaprio face. Yep. But not the DiCaprio talent. Yep. So he's got the DiCaprio. Just he he just looks still like a little bit of baby. Yeah, I think if it's he wasn't, as, he's quite bulky now. Mm. So I think back in the kick-ass days, he could have been quite a good. The Flash? Yep. Could have been a Flash. So He could have even been a... Um, he would have been a good Spider-Man. He would have been a good Spider-Man. I do love Kick-Ass. Yeah, he pulls, off, he pulls off comedy well. Yeah. It's a shame about that second one. Uh, also released Steven Soderbergh's Magic Mike. I, I really love it. Magic Mike. I've never seen it. I've never seen XL either. I actually want to throw it out there. I'd love to do a Soderbergh season. Oh, Soderbergh season would be fantastic. I'd like uh, to do a Channing Tatum season. Tim, you can find us on Patreon to pay for that one. Talk about uh, his taint. <laughs> I was watching the world. Was it the world's end? Great! Oh yeah, <laughs> that's so <laughs> funny. But it's so funny. I've been I was watching that. Seth Rogen. Yeah, he's done a couple but, interviews. Yeah, telling about how he actually um, emailed him to be in that be in that role, and Tatum was just like, "Yeah, man, sure." Because <laughs> <laughs> he needs my tank. <laughs> so funny! <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe that movie oh. even got made. It's just oh, so good out there. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because of the whole drama with Emma Hermione. Watson. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tim Burton. Come, come everywhere, man! <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I fucking love him. I love him so much. It deserves a revisit. Uh, that one for sure. Uh, Tim Burton released Dark Shadows. Oh man, that's so underrated. That yep. film. It's a film that seriously I've watched more than I ever thought I would. It's. It's got such a rewatchability, it doesn't is. it? It's so fantastic. Yeah. So fantastic. Um, speaking of underrated, the Wachowskis released Cloud Atlas. I still haven't seen it. Oh, so good, Craig. So, so good. Also released, I'll pump through a few other. We've talked about Lawless already. We talked about Argo already. What? Lawless was released this year as well. Yeah. So Jessica Hillcoats. Stain was yep. jumping in. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. Lawless, Les Mis was released with um, Hugh Jackman and Hathaway. Russell Crowe. Um, she was considered. Yeah, Russell Crowe's playing Zeus in Thor. Yeah, yeah, I did not know that until today. He spoiled it on the radio That's about right. a week yeah. ago. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, really? I thought he was just hanging around him because <laughs> rabbitos or some shit. Nah, he's got them all 
on the hook. Man, he's a he big tank it. of a man he now. Is, eh? He's a tank of the man. Yeah, Zeus has been eating well. <laughs> <laughs> um, also released, Jeremy Renner was in Born Legacy. I didn't mind it. I like Ends it. Ends up in the Philippines, like around near where my mum lives. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, no, there you go. My S- mum was born. Spielberg's Lincoln was released. <sighs> Fantastic, man. Seriously, everyone needs to go back and rewatch how fucking good that movie is. I've not seen it, so I, man, need, to, I need to watch seriously, it. Seriously, you could see... Daniel Day Lewis is fantastic, and they talk about because you never actually, no one's ever actually knows, because there's no recordings of his voice of Lincoln's voice. Oh wow! And so it's it's a sort of an idea of what Lincoln's. It's amazing. It's so amazing. good. This is a bonkers year. Uh, Wes Anderson released Moonrise Kingdom. I hate Wes Anderson. You do. Season's coming. Season seven, Craig. <laughs> I th- and I will gladly go into it with an open mind. It just seems too quirky for me, man. He's not coming. It's too quirky. You know what? It's like, to me, when I look at that, I just fucking just see like baristas in lumber jackets and shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) He's hipster filmmaking at its best. It is. Um, Lockout with Guy Pearce. Oh, you know I love that movie. (laughs) I love that movie. It's so fun. Since that first they released, remember, remember Luke Besson released first 10 minutes? Yep. And you and I said, yeah, we love that movie. We are 100% in. It, and we did. And we, I still am. I still own I think I've owned <laughs> I it still twice. Are. Yeah, same. Um, <laughs> Ang Lee released Life of Pi. Pixar Amazing. released Brave. Made me cry. Brave, fantastic. Every time I go back to it, it rises higher in my yeah, Pixar list. same. It's just same. one of those films that I just sort of like, oh, a bit offish, but no. Wreck-It Ralph was released. Another film that rises in my list. Uh, Ryan Johnson released Looper. Loved it. Tarantino released Django Unchained. I'm learning to love it. I'm serious. I'm learning to love it. I watched the scene. Well, I'm learning to love any scene with fucking... Um, Jamie Foxx? No, not Jamie Foxx. <laughs> any scene without Jamie Foxx. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually learning to like the scenes with Jamie Foxx as well. He's so I'm good just watching it more and watching it more. And it's just... But it's more obviously, you know... Um, I've forgotten his name. This is a bit of a oh, um, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, any it's scene so with him, fantastic. Like when that guy is getting attacked by the walls, yeah. by the dogs. So hard oh, to he's watch. such an amazing so actor. I mean, he, he won the Academy yeah. Award that year. He did. Best supporting, yeah. He sure did. Uh, and a personal favourite of the from first to last podcast, John Carter. Oh, really? Yeah, <sighs> love that movie. Love that movie. Give Andrew Stanton another live action damn film, right, people. Damn right. Brad Bird won another Academy Award the other day. Did he? For Soul. Oh, no, Pete Doctor. Pete Doctor, sorry, wrong yeah. one. Pete Doctor. It's actually his last ever Pixar film because oh. he's been put as head of creative. He's replaced John Lasseter. Oh, has he? Oh. Yep. So, I, I miss John's hugs. <laughs> so cuddly and long. It's <laughs> um, when he boot me on the ass. Boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was 2012 in a nutshell. Great year for film. Yeah. And the journey to screen for the film. Mm-hmm. Now, Craig, we do this every week, but it's really important because there could be people out there who's seen the film a lot. Damn there might right. be someone that's never even seen this film. Maybe someone who watched it a long time ago and just needs a quick refresher. Yep. So let's just take a moment for those people at home and let's just hear about it. A group of CIA operatives led by analyst Meyer spends over a decade tracking the location of one of the most dreaded names in US history, Osama Bin Laden. It's a gripping procedural thriller 
with an ensemble cast that brings their best. Let's talk about Zero Dark Thirty. So good, Craig. Now, I ask this to you every single week. Really? Oh, I love your response. Oh, cool, cool. Well, when, what's the question? What's the question? When, Craig, was the last time you saw this movie? Oh, oh well, oh, well, you know, I don't really watch four movies much anymore. <laughs> but if I go to clips, I could say like six months ago. Four movie, uh, about two years ago. Interesting. Yeah. So two years ago? Yeah. Cool. Probably. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, when I bought, yeah. Yeah, two years ago, right about. The last time, actually, how crazy is this? Sometimes, now for those listeners at home, you know that Jeff Reed loves to log his movies. Jeff likes to log his films. I yes, do. Yeah, I do. Like his films. Since 2011, I have logged every single film sucks. that I've watched. And Craig constantly makes the reference that I'm Rain Man. Um, <laughs> but what's really interesting is that every now and then there are films where for whatever reason, I watch them around the exact same date every couple of years. Ah. So I don't know what brings that on, but Catherine Bigelow's Zero Dark Thirty, I first got on Blu-ray in, I watched on Blu-ray when I bought it. It was a um, new release. Yep. Actually, funnily enough, this one was during one of our many trips to Video Easy, the junction to troll oh, their boom. ex-rental sale bins. Craig and I used they to were do slowly it. dying. And yeah. we were just like, wow, they got so many ex-rentals. <laughs> what, <laughs> what a bargain. What a bargain. Yeah. So I'd watched this on the 19th of November in 2013 and I also watched it on the 18th of November 2015. Oh, wow. So that would have been the last time I watched it in 2015, which is like six years ago now. Have you ever just did a calculation of them like... You know how obviously we do a post-watch? Yeah. So when was the last time you watched Argo? Ooh, do you want to know? I can tell you right now because I'll have my little app up here. He's check, checking uh, his Checking app. my He's list. checking his app. I'm making a list. I'm checking <laughs> it twice. <laughs> I made Argo. The last time I watched Argo was in July 2016. Damn it. That has no causality at yeah. all. I'm sure that if I... It's, it's, yeah, I'm just thinking I like, do you go on a run? Possibly. I know that like in the lead up to us actually doing the podcast, I often was doing director's runs. Yeah. So I would watch a director's filmography. But I'd be curious to see, other. you know, because usually one film set me onto another. Yeah. And a lot of the times I do go, oh, you know, there's a new Tarantino film. So I'm going to watch his films again. Or I've bought the new Tarantino film on Blu-ray and then I watch them all again yeah. in the lead up. So it's quite possible there's some links. It's quite possible that I'd watched, you know, maybe I watched Lawless and was like Jessica Chastain's so good. Yeah, in true. This. That's what I'm saying. And I'd like I'll to go back and curious it, so. to find the comment. And I don't know. Maybe maybe a fun little thing we could do one season is just to just occasionally get a psychiatrist to come in and just examine you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that'd be well, heaps of fun. I, another Let's put little, it on a podcast. Well, another little funny thing I used to do, and uh, Craig knows I was developing many ideas for podcasts before we landed on from first to last. Yeah, exactly. Um, the naked one was weird. <laughs> Pants off Friday. Pants well, off actually, Friday. we were doing a twist on Pants Off Willy Friday. Willie Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> donkey. Um, donkey. Um, what are the ideas? Well, from first to last, actually, my initial pitch to Craig was to go through every episode of The Simpsons from start to finish. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah, and that was going to be our first Christ, the last. Yeah. 
That's fucking a bit hard. <laughs> it's still <laughs> At going. At least we always have material, yeah, but still. It's still going. That would but, be so hard. Um, obviously, I paired that back. And then at one point, it was there actually working through the 101 or 1001 movies you should watch before. That's you right. Yeah, I remember that one. So, um, that one. and again, they add new things to that every year. Yep. Um, some damn hard movies to find there would be. Yeah, there are some very hard movies to find on that list. But, um, you know, I, I I did have an idea of like the degrees of separation between each film I watch, and like if I look at the the last couple films that I've watched recently, we're we're tangenting off so great again. But if I'm to look at what the last couple movies that I actually watched were, um, you know, I know we went on a bit of a Hugh Grant run recently, so um, really we've, we've watched. Hey, we love his little. Um, oh, it's Hugh Grant. His little charming old. Yeah, he is. He's, he's charming, and we could watch. You know, you go Notting Hill through to. We went and watched. Uh, Did you watch Four Weddings? No, we haven't watched Four Weddings. So a few people have actually been recommending the TV series that's just come out. This is a TV series. Yeah, it looks quite charming actually. So, oh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, we watched Notting Hill and then we jumped a bit later on onto uh, music and lyrics. Oh, Hugh Grant's on Binge right now. Um, is he? Yeah, he's with um, Nicole Kidman. Oh, The Undoing? Mm. Yes, actually looking at my thing, I'm disappointed for some reason music and lyrics isn't on there. I forgot to log this it. Boy's Life? Boy's Life. No, we didn't watch that. We watched About a Boy. Is that the one you're meaning? About, Sorry, that's about right. A boy? Yeah, what yeah we've watched boys, that recently. This Boy's Life is, what am I doing? That's DiCaprio and De Niro. But actually, my my list le- recently in through April is pretty haphazard. Um, you know, Kong Skull Island obviously influenced to watch that. You're going to watch that one I sent you the other day. Which one did you send me the other day? Ape First Monster. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to watch that, uh, guys. There's an awesome film coming out. Get on the trailer. <laughs> Ape vs. Monster. That's right. That's it. It's That's out, right. man. It's getting there. We yeah. That, look. I'd love to know the degrees of separation between all these films. What got me to go from Kung Skull Island to watch The Purge? Kung. <laughs> Kung. Kung Fu. Well, that's because Karate Kid's on there. Oh, yeah, Kung cool. Fu on there. But we went Karate. Notting Hill, Karate Kid, Bumblebee, Kong Skull Island, The Purge, Hidden Figures, The Mexican, K-19, Muppets Most Wanted, and Hurt Locker. <laughs> None of these have anything in order to do with each other. <laughs> Apart from the fact that they're all films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all movies. I love it. Um, you Jeff for that. No. That Lightning yet frightening glimpse <laughs> into your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been probably six years since I've watched this film, but I'd love to know, Craig, we are getting, this is the second last film in Bigelow's filmography. Yeah. Um, I guess off the back of Hurt Locker and going through Bigelow's filmography, what do you expect from Zero Dark Thirty going into this? I'm very biased, man, because I remember loving the film. Yeah. Um, so I was expecting just another good film. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and seriously, that's what I got. I just, it's a film that I just, I really enjoyed because I enjoy the procedural por- portion yeah. of it, you know what I mean? Um, I love how it's so, there's so many pieces to this film and it's so well put together and, and somehow it's coherent. Yeah. Um, where a lot of people, a lot of directors, especially, actually, there was a little part where I was a little bit worried, to be honest, because I've seen that she has an issue in the editing room. Yep. Obviously, um, after Hurt Locker, there's yep. no such issue. Yes. Um, so I guess that's why she films so much now. But 
So I was like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen here. And it doesn't. It doesn't happen at all. It's it's a it's a coherent film. It's you're engaged. Well, I was engaged entirely through the whole film. And watching it again, I still yeah, still am. It's really interesting because I remember the first time I watched the film in cinemas. Um, I was so blown away by it. Mm. Then watching it uh, the next time again, I was like, man, this is such a good film. And then the last time I watched it. I remember walking away from it going, oh, man, I actually felt like it was a bit boring. Ah. Which is interesting. You're like, I know he died. Well, <laughs> I guess every now and then you watch a movie and you're just not in the zone for it. Oh, there are plenty of times you're just not in the mindset. And, and so I wonder if this was one of those cases because this is a gripping film. Yeah, it is. It's so well made. It's so fast paced. We go from moment to moment and, you know, the to think all that torture stuff that goes on at the start of the film is only 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. But it feels so long in that moment. Oh, it, it's dragged to the... Because I think, because it's so prevalent through the film, because the impacts of the torture throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, the, they're so important. Mm. And... Once we start getting out of that moment and we're sitting down with the detainee who's starting to eat and give them information, you really know where we're headed from there. Yeah, like You're exactly. like, oh, wow, this is going to be filled with intrigue as they're trying to work out the pieces to, to you know, um, is it Abdul Ahmed or, yeah. you know, the, 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 the person they're trying to find and then they discover they've been looking at the wrong person's photo the entire yeah, time. Yeah, looking at his brother's photo. And, and so those little moments, they're tiny little twists and turns and they're so intriguingly played out. It's just so well done. So I'm so glad because I was really worried that, it, again, Hurt Locker, I was worried Hurt Locker might be the pinnacle for Bigelow. Yeah. And we'll get to ranking a bit later on in the episode, but I'm so glad that Bigelow actually hasn't taken a step back in her directing. This is definitely Hurt Locker with a bigger budget. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's that in the scope of the, obviously, you know, the storyline is all around Iraq and those types of things. Yeah. But I'm saying it more as in it's the same feel, it's the same maturity, but the only things that you would be nitpicking to say lacked in um, Hurt Locker yep. are fixed by budget. Definitely. Yeah. And I think where Hurt Locker could falter is because it's such a small scale film. Exactly. Like it feels like an independent film. I guess my fear was is once we get to a big scale film, we could get a great concept that just wasn't perfectly executed yeah almost like um like jaws well the the more i think about strange days the more i realize it was a really well-made film but we've gone from a smaller scale film not saying point break was a small scale film Mm. but a smaller scale and then suddenly we've got the scale any scale bigelow would want for strange days and you get this film that's just like oh man we just didn't get, get it. it. Yeah. Um, and so I guess my fear is that this could be a point break to Strange Days. You know, to go Hurt Locker to Zero Dark Thirty. And you go, oh, man, we just didn't get there. 
I'm really glad. I think Bigelow keeps growing. And like I said before, the other I guess the other fear I, w- I had was I felt like Hurt Locker had glimpses of Bigelow in there, but my fear was that we were starting to lose the Bigelow we'd seen in those early days. You know, like when you watch a Zemeckis, you can still see moments of Zemeckis throughout his career. And you go, oh, there he is. My old friend's there. But Hurt Locker, to me, felt... So little of Bigelow in there. There were still moments, but it was so different to say the filmmaking in uh, Weight of Water, yeah, or the filmmaking in even K nineteen to an extent. That I was worried that the next step would almost be not Bigelow again. Um, I think we said it once before. Um, it's where we find these art these directors become change from directors to artists yes um i think i agree with you i think in hurt locker she steps far out of her comfort zone yes um and matures yeah this film is her maturity and her experience put together yes um and so basically you see you see the glimpses of the last films yeah um you see basically even though it's around the world it's very tight um, and it's very tense in its political atmosphere like K-19. Yep. Um, in essence. And then there's obviously, like you said, there's the strange days in the um, the shots and everything like that. Yep. And then there's the there's the action sequences, which is very similar to like Point Break. Yes. And the fact that... And she's... I think she, I, I remember watching a bit of the um, special features. She says it two interaction sequences she always wants you to feel like you're it's grounded you're there yeah and you see that and that's one thing she 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 brought directly back from um point break yeah and you do you feel it you feel it all oh you are in there exactly exactly again i watched just like you i watched the film last night um and i'd forgotten how long the film was it's a two and a half hour yeah same i forgot that um and at half past 12 this morning I was like, oh, man, we're only just getting to where they've hit the compound. Yeah. I'm feeling really tired, but it doesn't bother me because it's so darn good right now. It makes such a fantastic turn in that last half hour. It does, doesn't it? Um, where basically I don't care what type of... Um, it's not because it's an action film, but because, you, you f- especially in that last half hour, you're not there for the action because... By Hollywood standards, it's not a huge act. Yeah. You're there because you feel like you're glimpsing into a different world, especially in these, like, a SEALs type world. Yes. Because it's so methodical. It's so meticulous. The explosions sound like um, they're, they're muffled explosions. You know, they're, yeah, totally. They're, 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 they're the ones that you'd actually... Even the um, silences, you know, yes. because they're not... Because silence, there is no such thing as a silencer from the movies. Yeah, they still they just muzzled the sound. They're like slightly. thwack, thwack. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so you actually hear those throughout the film. Yeah, um, throughout that last sequence. Oh, the sound editing in that you can see why sequence is so you can see why it won. good. Yeah, it's so incredible. You can see why it came. You know, dead heat with fucking Skyfall. <laughs> oh, the Skyfall sound editing. Actually, I is did amazing. watch Skyfall. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. That's where they go back to his house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got it's a it. great film. Great film. But there are so many moments in this film 
that on their own you could just pull apart. Yeah. You know, we've talked about Chastain is just giving her all for this performance. Yeah, exactly. And you can see the moment, that moment where she sits down at the dinner table with her friend oh. and they're having the wine and she says to her, like, we're worried about you. You're giving way too much to this and really starts being concerned and being a good friend before the explosion happens and just by sheer coincidence, there's a bomb attack Yeah, at the building. They're having dinner. Again, showing how dangerous a place it is for them. Yeah. They're, they're in such a danger hotspot constantly. But it's also a very similar scene later on where James Gandolfini is sitting with her at the lunch at yep. the lunch place and, and he goes, what else have you done for the agency? And she says it in a way that actually sounds like a compliment instead of, you know, she goes, nothing, nothing else. Yeah. And it sounds like a compliment because, and he takes it as a compliment. He's like, okay, this person is just narrow-minded and dedicated and dedicated and yep. this is what she sees. You know, instead of, you know, where another actress could have played, nothing else. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like a, oh, yeah, I've just been fucking around for a while. Yeah, but totally. She, yeah, but she brings it across a way where it's like, i done nothing else. This is all I've done and I know I'm right, 100%. Yeah, totally. And we do have to give props in this. Like, after Hurt Locker, I've realised I'm so excited for Detroit next. Yeah. Um, I'm worried it's going to be quite a hard watch. Yeah, I same. I have feeling it's going to be a hard watch. Um, Race movies always are hard for me to watch, hey? Yeah, I, I feel the same. Because you just get so angry. Yep. Injustice is hard to yeah, watch. Yeah, man. You just look down. Um, but Hurt Locker to Zero Dark Thirty, I, I feel, is proof that Mark Bowl is a very good writer. A damn good writer, man. And... Um, I might just go there now if it's cool with you, Craig. Cool, I'm cool. I haven't had a look at it, so we're going to just crack it open and just see actually what Mark Bowl has worked Smack on that outside. Ass. Because Mark Bowl actually, he did write and is credited as a writer on um, Triple Threat, which came out in 2019. Triple Threat. Uh, which we talked about already in this. In this oh, Triple Frontier. Uh, Triple Frontier, sorry. Triple Threat, what's the Triple Threat about? Triple Threat one. Oh, Craig, it's that. It's that horrible it's one horrible. Where, where they're like, they, they rob armored cars and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Who's in that? Pretend, the Pretender wasn't in there. Triple Threat. I think that was. Uh, I've forgotten his name now. Never mind. So he did In the Valley of Elah. He wrote that, which yeah. was the Paul Haggis yep. film. How I haven't seen it. Have you seen Followed it? Followed by. No, I haven't. Actually, I walked in. I visited a mate one time and he was halfway through it. And you know when someone walks in at the most, most inopportune moment, I'm pretty sure there was a strip club scene and I walked in and I was like, what are oh. you watching? <laughs> what are you watching? He's like, It's Tommy Lee James, he does it too. So, in the Valley of Elah, Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit and Triple Frontier is all he's written. Oh, wow, he's very particular. He has a couple projects in development. Um, some stuff with um, Netflix. He's also got uh, the GameStop stock market, stock market stuff that happened recently. Oh, God, he's um, involved in that, He's is involved he? with a film around that, which is actually interesting. Have you seen The Big Short? You've seen The Big Short. Yeah, I love yeah. The Big Short. Uh, the character Christian Bale plays. Yeah. He is a key figure in the GameStop 
Yeah, I know. Uh, market thing. So, uh, do you know what that is? Tell me more. Oh, I'm on, no, obviously uh, Jeff knows because I email him all the time. Reddit, the guys of Reddit actually got together. So there's there's a thing where um, Wall Street buys certain stocks just so they can buy stocks on these stocks or something like that. They, they, they and and then they sell it back. But if people buy the stocks and at a bigger and it goes up in price, then these people can't short it and it goes into it goes into a big fucking drama. Yeah. And heaps of people on Reddit have done it to GameStop. And it's been going wonderful. It's been brilliant. And now they've moved to something else. Well, it's actually led the stock exchange to look at amending their rules and laws around trading because only when only when other people do it only when the rich people are being affected by yeah, it yeah exactly do the exactly. rules start getting changed um so mark Bowl is actually he's relatively early in his career as a writer he's got a project around the waco siege in production oh really and um a couple other things that'd be interesting if he brings his eye to that yep he has worked on another project, which we'll talk a bit more about uh, next week, uh, which is a Bo Bergdahl project, which is another Catherine Bigelow collaboration around a military presence. I'd like to see a little bit more military. I'd like to see a little bit more military back in World War One or Two. Ooh, nice! That'd a be cool. Companion piece to 1917. Yes, exactly. So, um, I just wanted to just really give. Mark Bowl props because I do think uh, his writing has me excited for Detroit. Definitely. Um, his collaboration with Catherine Bigelow over the last two films has me excited for future projects Eddie, if they're working very together. Very fruitful. I want to watch go watch Triple Frontier now. I just want to see. Yeah, it'd be cool. I'd like it? to see his script on there. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I know. I'm going to watch it now. Do it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank too, you. Craig. I will bring my thoughts I'd back love to you. Hear your thoughts. Um, so I think really Mark Bold does play like a, a huge part. His collaboration with Bigelow is really, I think it's stretching her as a director. Yep. Uh, I think it's providing her strong material to work with. And the films that we felt have not been her greatest work have generally come from not having a strong script to build on. Yep. Um, also not a strong s- editing. Yeah. So if, which is easy to do if you have a lot well, not easier, but you have a lot more options by filming a lot more. That's exactly right. You can draw. And I wonder if um, the confined spaces within K-19 actually attributed to her looking to fix those mistakes because exactly um, you can't have four film crews operating at once in a submarine. Yeah. So um, interesting. Again, like Bigelow shows in this, she's the master of night shoots. Yeah, there fantastic. have been so many films she has made with these long night shoots. And you could imagine that scene throughout the compound, that would not be an overnight scene to film. Definitely. You would have that would have been a lot of work. Uh when in my research, I think it was about an eighth of footage shot for the film was that last twenty minutes. Makes sense. Uh, Makes they, sense. they took so much footage of them. But you could see that. that They've done it brilliantly too. Oh, that is that whole scene in the compound at the end is so well edited. And again, like the the moments where they're calling out to individuals within the home and just trying to lure them out to then just quickly kill them <sighs> is it's so ruthless, but in their eyes it's war, so it's quite intelligent. 
Well, these guys are designed to be killers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's their, that's their job, you know, and they yep. train to be good at killers. And they do a good job, actually, in humanizing them in a way. Yeah. So the the moments where they're hanging out, playing horseshoe and just having a lot of fun, you start going, actually, these are just normal dudes. Yeah, Hanging exactly. out together. I could be watching a sporting team just hanging out together. Just trained killers. But they're trained killers. Yeah. They're very, very... But you also, you, you also um, see Jason Clark talk very similar to this. Yes. Where he's looking at the empty monkey cage in the sequence. And he goes, I just need to go home and do something different. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just got to I, I just gotta stop seeing naked men all the time, you know? just I've just got to go home and just do something simple for a while. Yeah. And we do see him later doing a different role. And he looks a and lot he's cleaner. he's in a suit. He looks healthier. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's got stunning blue eyes, man. Hey? Doesn't he? You don't realize it until he's doesn't just like, until he? the first scenes and he's coming in. He's just, he has that psychopathic um, best friend look. He, I actually love Jason Clark. I yeah, think same. he's an underrated S- actor. Most Aussies don't know he's Aussie. Yeah. That's what's so crazy. He's such a good, he's got such a good accent. Yeah. But there are little moments I love in this film where in an American accent, he drops a very couple Australian statements. So the moment they're in looking at, you know, crazy, he's in, is it Kuwait, where he's uh, meeting one of the sheiks and he's like trying to get information out of him. And he's like, what will it take? And the guy's like, you only come for me when you need help. And he's like, how's the Lamborghini sound? <laughs> and he takes him off to buy a Lamborghini. Um, and the moment he looks in the car and he goes, oh, F me dead. <laughs> and I was like, if he says it in an American accent, I'm like, oh, that is such an Australian thing that to is say. Such an and I, I love the fact that he throws those little moments in. But like Jason Clark is a really underrated actor. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of screen presence. He has, a, he has definitely, he's just got an Oscar in his future. He totally does. And I really hope that he starts getting a few more. He was... He was good in the Terminator film that he was in. I, I thought he was great. And so I just, yeah, you just hope for more for him. Um, he's really good in The Great Gatsby. If yep. you've seen Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby, fantastic in that. Um, there are so many things um, that he's a part of that I just want more for him. He's similar to, uh, what's it, the James Badgedale. He is a bit, isn't he? Like they're those actors that they, they show up in heaps of these places and you're like, man, they're good. They're yeah. damn good. Totally. I'm just seeing what he's got coming up next because uh, he's there's a bit of handsomeness about him too. I think that's that's in there as ruggedness. well. Ruggedness. It it is a ruggedness actually, Craig. Um, he was in Pet Cemetery. He uh, was in Lawless as well. He was in Lawless. He was. Uh, he was in First Man with Ryan Gosling. Oh, quite good in that. Uh, Terminator Genesis. We talked about that. Like he's really worked with some great directors as well. Uh, he's fantastic in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Cool. Um, so yeah, like worked in Lawless. Then he goes Zero Dark Thirty, Great Gatsby with Baz Luhrmann, White House Down. That was a big step up for him. Um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes works with Terrence Malick in Night of Cups, Terminator Genesis, and then he's been in a few sort of not little films. He's been in some quite film big films, uh, Pet Cemetery. He this year, he's got a film called The Silk Road coming out. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's about the drug dealer on um online. Yep, that is exactly what it was. Um, so he's got a quite. I just hope he gets something great. He will. I hope he, he gets something great. Now, Craig, we've talked Jessica Chastain, we've talked Jason Clark. Let's talk for a moment. Um, our good friend. I hope I'm not stealing any any thunder, Craig. So tell me to put a pin in it if we go there. Cole Chandler. No. Good. Um, <laughs> Cole Chandler also was in Argo this year. Ah. Oh, the yeah. same year. Um, he's quite big off the back of Super 8 as well. Yeah, that's right. He was good in that. Because he was coming off the Friday Night Lights, the TV series. Yes, he was. Friday Night Lights. It had a good run in Wolf of Wall Street as it well. It was his first big TV series. Remember he was really big in something really small, like Northern Exposure or some crap like that. Ooh, was he? Some, he was originally big in something else and then... I'm going through now. He was in a show called Early Edition. That's it. Early Edition. Did you ever watch Early Edition? No. He got the. He got tomorrow's paper. Show? Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's a time travel show. Yeah. Let me get tomorrow's oh. paper, and he'd go and save people. I love it. Same. I, I forgot all about that show. show. Well, and I think following that show, everyone thought he was going to be quite big because he had that role in Peter Jackson's King Kong. Yes. Where he's quite dashing in it. He's sort of the anti. Um, Adrian, Adrian Brody. Brody, and so I think anti Brody. He, he was very anti Brody, and you could see that he had something there, but it just didn't happen. Unfortunately, he was in the Kingdom, Peter Berg's The Kingdom. Oh, really? With Jamie Fox, you love him. Um, I've seen it. He was also in that great advertising movie called The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> yes, great. That was a great ad. Where will the aliens meet? McCafe. <laughs> um, but yeah. This is a big year for him. He hasn't really had, again, he's had some little roles here and there. Fantastic in Wolf of Wall Street. So good in Bloodline. Yeah. Um, but I just love the ensemble cast that Big Lowe's put together for this film. Like a cast that can have small roles for Joel Edgerton. Yes. Small roles for Chris Pratt. What's his brother's name? Uh, Sam. No, no, no. It's, I'm going to find it. Because right he's a director. For you. He's a stuntman, first and, and foremost, and he's directed some he stuff. He directed as well. that um, Australian Red Box or something like that in Australia. I think he also is like a co creator of Mr. In Between, that yep. TV show. And then he also obviously directed um, Brandon Flowers. He did. He, yep. Good job, you. Yes, he did. And I love my killers. Like, it's, there are little parts in this. There you go, oh, that's just a tiny little role for him. Yeah, like uh, James Gandolfini. Jam, James Gandolfini. John Barrowman pops up in there for like two minutes. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, um, You've got, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Stephen Delane pops up in there. Yes. Um, Mark Duplass is just in there yes. randomly. You know, there's all these characters, again, characters that generally aren't. And I think that's where... This film sits above Hurt Locker. Yes. You have this high um, caliber of talent that makes every little role believable. So yes. every, every little part of it is polished. 
totally every agree. little part of it is polished. Yeah, you know, because you do see and you see all, and it jumps to these great um, actors and stuff like that. As um, Maya goes through this whole ten years, you know, even the the girl, um, the woman who played opposite it was really good. Jennifer Earl. Yeah, yeah, she's so good. You got Jeremy Strong pops up there, Jeremy. which I kept going. Who is that guy? He had glasses in this role. Sort of looked a bit like the Moriarty from yeah. the Sherlock TV series. And he was recently the bad guy in The Gentleman. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. So he pops up. And we're also forgetting... Um, Harold Perignal's in no, there. Um, the guy who was in the new Point Break. Yeah, Edgar Ramirez Edgar is in Ramirez. there. Edgar Ramirez. Did you say Edgar Ramirez? No, I haven't said Edgar man, Ramirez Edgar yet. Ramirez, man. Any. His role was really good. His role was great in this. And and so you do, you've got all these actors who, in some cases, they aren't necessarily dramatic actors per se. Yeah. But they're all great character actors coming together in an ensemble to, in a way, one of my memories of Zero Dark Thirty was thinking it was a Jessica Chastain film but there were so many other characters that it didn't feel like a Jessica Chastain yeah. film. You didn't, I didn't really, it didn't really click to me how much of an ensemble film it was yeah. until this watching. Same. And I guess if I'd known it was such an ensemble film, I might have actually been a bit concerned if Bigelow could handle such a big yeah. talent pool, especially after K-19, Definitely. you know. Uh, but this, this is proof that like, Harold Perignal is so good in this. Um, who is... He was in Lost. Uh, uh, black lost. actor. He was the guy who... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah sort of did techie stuff. Yeah, that's Mercurio out of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, Mercutio, it is. Yeah. Um, but Plague on both your heads. <laughs> He's so he good in that, that, isn't says he? Says that scene. Says that beautifully. He I've does. Heard, I've heard Shakespearean actors say it, and they they don't grasp it as well as he does in that scene. He, no, he does that. But obviously really, really there's really a lot of echo in it. Both your houses! Your houses! <laughs> <laughs> um, Marcusia. But such talent and balance so well throughout the film. Yeah. Again, like just... This totally could be... If we really thought about the way this film could be Hollywoodized, the fact that there's that moment again at the... You would have seen more American flags. More American flags, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Michael Bay would have made sure they were flapping anytime Hell something yes. was happening. And, and Jessica Chastain's ass would have been followed up the 100%. Stairs. There would have been a, a There would have been a sex scene for sure. With her and Harold Perrineau? Yep. Because there is that moment where they she's talking with her friend. What's he talking about? His character. Well, I think so. Hmm. Alex is, is someone else. Yeah. Because I was thinking, like, which one are they talking about? There. I think I thought it was either him or Jason Clark's character that they were alluding to. I'd do Edgar Ramirez. <laughs> if we were talking <laughs> co-workers, he is and I was dashing. Jessica Chastain. He, yeah. That jawline, Craig. Ooh, that's hot right. Damn. Carved that van, out of marble. That little van he drives around. <laughs> SUV, thank you. Ooh, SUV. They don't have many of them in Pakistan, Oh, yeah, remember? exactly. <laughs> so there's a little van. That's the bad guys. But I just love the way Bigelow handled it. I think overall when I think about this, it's so well crafted, this film. Yes, that's a beautiful it's, way to put it. It's so... If I thought Hurt Locker was Bigelow 
at her best. I'm actually realizing that Zero Dark Thirty is Bigelow putting into practice all the lessons she's learned across yeah, all her films. Definitely agreed. And and so we do get moments of Hurt Locker in there. We do get moments of Point Break. We do get moments of Strange Days. You know, there 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 really is all these moments throughout her films that culminate in Zero Dark Thirty. And I think what we end up is an incredibly sharp, punchy film yeah. around a topic that could have been boring as buggery. Yeah, or, or, or could have been totally opposite and made to be more hyper-realistic than it should have been. Totally. You know what I mean? Like the way she actually put them all together, the way she... Um, and like you were saying before, controversial topics. So she was able to actually put these together in such an insightful way that it was just blows your mind. It does, doesn't it? It really does. Like, if I think about the moment that reminds me most of Hurt Locker, and it's a really tragic scene, is where we're about to meet the informant. They've offered him $25 million. Oh, yes. And he's going to turn on Al-Qaeda. And she's so excited by it. And I love the way that she's really humanized. Yeah. In the fact that we're hearing that she's got kids. Yep. She's got this life away from Pakistan. And um, actually, I think we're in Afghanistan at that point at the base. Yeah, exactly. Um, Just like, yep. And Camp something. Camp Crusader. We saw Camp Liberty. Camp Liberty again. Um, But the, the moment that. He would never let a bomb through. Never. never. Jeremy Renner would never would have let never that happen no. at all. But it is that moment where her excitement is infectious in a way. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is the big break. It's coming. Again, if Maya had gone with her like she'd asked, the whole outcome of this would have been totally different. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. the breakthroughs wouldn't have come. And instead of the tragedy of the friend being killed because what happens is that this informant turns up and he's actually a suicide bomber. Yep. Um, My brain is going, when he turns up in the car, I'm like, there's two people in the car. I'd be freaking out by now if I was those gunmen. Yeah, exactly. You know, saying, hey, uh, there's two guys in this car. Is that okay with you? Is one of them the driver? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Open the gate. Open um, the gate. Let him through. You're spooking him. <laughs> it's true. They were spooking him. Yeah, and his limpy leg. His limpy, limpy bomb leg. Um, but the tragedy that comes out of that moment is used so well because it actually becomes a motivator for Jessica Chastain's character to then. She promises she's going to kill Bin Laden. Yeah, she keeps pushing. This is a, yeah, it it, it reignites her. It does, doesn't it? Because she really was. She's broken once it happens. We see yeah. her in the office. She's sitting in the corner of a room, you know, just done. But it really does. It becomes just the real fire in. It puts a fire in her, doesn't it? Definitely. To, to make definitely. sure that she's going to avenge her friend in this. Um, and I do love. At the end, the moment where she's sitting on the plane and that single tear that goes down her cheek is so beautifully shot and beautifully timed because she's still strong. There's still such strength in her 
Whereas, again, if I'm to say a Michael Bay would have showed a weak female in that I moment. think this is... I think this is... I think it's a moment of relief. Yes. Like, she's able to actually let the guard down just for a moment. Yes. You know what I mean? Because she's done it, and then, obviously, now she'll get back onto something else. Yeah. Mm. And in that moment, it's funny because, like, watching it, I think to myself, I go, imagine being someone who's just dedicated 10 years of your life to hunt one of the most notorious people in history. What do you do with yourself afterwards? Oh, man. Seriously. Honestly, what do you do? What would you... I think... Well, she'd be... Obviously, if this person was real, she'd be given everything. Totally. The keys (laughs) to the kingdom, wouldn't she? You'd think so. Yeah, exactly. She'd just be going... But you know, someone like... And it always... Always made me one of these people who are just unfailingly loyal. Yeah, for such a small, you know, their 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 goal is about playing their part and nothing more. Yes, you know what I mean. Which is which is an amazing thing. Like like, and not to get any reward or any compliment at all. It's just about getting that job done. Yep. You die. You're just literally a star on the wall. Yeah, and and. It is one of those moments where no doubt she's received some sort of recognition yeah. for her role in this. Yeah. Um, and when you look into it, there is a character who is this is based on. It's There's not really a name for them. Mm. Uh, I have heard maybe Jane get thrown away as a description for them, but... The character of Maya is based around someone who is kept very top secret yeah, as definitely. to their identity. Um, and so that person has probably been rewarded with some sort of medal honouring them. And that's and a probably ceremony. it. And no one even knows about it. Yeah, and that's probably it. <laughs> and like, is that, oh, that actually leads me onto something really nice. Oh, so good. Ooh, something really nice. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump segues. in there. Segways. So... I'll, um, so there obviously, there has been people who actually say this person Maya is obviously it's an amalgam of character, yeah, of actions yep. that she does. Yeah. So the actions she does are from an amalgam of people, but they also say that this person is based upon, and this person was actually known as the Queen of Torture. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah, so full CIA. But hey, look, this is one of the weird rabbit holes I went down to the other day. Love it. So this Get rabbit hole. There was one of the weirdest ones in the fact that it's all about torture. Oh. Oh, yes, Ooh. very much about torture. So, as Jeff noted, there was a lot of controversy with this film, obviously Zero Dark Thirty, a lot of it in regards to the interrogation scenes. Yes. Or as CIA calls it, enhanced interrogation techniques. Okay. So these techniques are actually devised by a CIA psychologist named James Mitchell, who worked as a contractor for the CIA. Who also tied it, who told a tribunal because obviously this all went to shit and they yep. all put a big tribunal in, in their tactics that he would get up and do it again today. It was considered his moral duty. So, just like you and I was just saying, then it's weird that these people they, they're almost fanatical, but for the Americans, you know what I mean? Just yeah. they're fanatical, it's their moral duty, almost like they're religious zealots in a way. Yeah, okay. So Here's actually some of the techniques that this guy raised. So there's there's actually, and there's a lot of them are in the movie. A lot of them were actually um, 
there was a obviously like I said the big investigation yeah and a lot of these were brought out so you will recognize a lot of these from the actual start of the movie so these were signed off by the department the American Department of Justice yeah um, also bear in mind though like a lot of this is what was officially recorded yeah doesn't mean it was actually recorded that way yeah okay. but this was um, listed as a May 30 2005 Justice Department memo to the CIA so this is what they could do based upon what this psychologist put together. They could do what was called an abdominal slap, which is really just backhanding slap to the stomach. Okay. 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 It gets this specific, more designed to humiliate than hurt. Okay. Another one was the attention grasp. That's grasping the person by the collar. Oh. <laughs> I know, very hard. Okay. Same as the facial hold, where you just grab them. By both sides, you and they're very specific in how they. Gordon Ramsay's trained in the facial. I know exactly. It's it's very specific in how they actually say you have to do this. It's almost like how to touch a coworker. <laughs> you know, you place one hand on both sides of the face and then you bring it close to you. Then there's the cramped confinement that we saw. So the interrogator would put a detainee in a box, so it's either a small box or a large box that you could sit in. We saw in this movie the small box. Yeah, up to eighteen hours. <coughs> yeah, yeah. We so did. the interrogator actually had an option of putting it had to be harmless an insect inside the box. Oh, yeah. So that was one of the options they could put in insects inside the box. So this yeah. actually happened to one of the guys who had, um, one of the guys mentioned in the movie. He actually had a fear of insects, so they dropped oh. it in there with him. What, like a cockroach or something? Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> Dietary manipulation, so giving them only liquid food, which is referenced in the movie. Yeah. So you'll see how very specific this film is. Yeah, yeah. Nudity, sleep deprivation. So some detainees were kept awake for up to 180 hours, oh often my standing or put in a, what they would call a stress position. Walling, this is where you slam um, a detainee against the wall. Obviously, waterboarding, which we saw in the film, yes. which brings about convulsions, vomiting, immediate fluid intake, and involuntary leg, chest, and arm spasms. So at one point, um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was waterboarded 65 times between the afternoon of March the 12th to the morning of March the 13th. 65 times? 65 times, man. That's hardcore. Water dousing, so they're naked. They're held down on a tarp on the floor, and according to this, this is according to a Senate report, the tarp would be pulled up around them to make like a bathtub, and cold or refrigerated water would be poured on. Oh my gosh! And this is weird, hey? Short shackling, where they are shackled in their fetal position and then tied to a bar. Wow! I know. So what we were saying earlier, Jessica Chastain's character was based on a Malgama character character uh, but she was known as the queen of torture the cia referred to her um cia CIA, uh the terrorists referred to her as the queen of torture yeah wow so it's rumored that this woman also appears in the adam driver netflix film the report yes so she's yes. played by more attorney so the two characters people say they're the same because the two characters share movements okay <laughs> which is the same as per the real Senate Intelligence Committee report and the CIA, which is what the report is about. Yeah, okay. So the report 
obviously this CIA report brings about the CIA black sites, which are featured in the film. Uh, they usually add about 20 cells in each black site. Yeah, whoa. Each a standalone concrete box. Yeah. Um, in 16, prisoners were shackled to a metal ring. In four, designed for sleep deprivation, they were, they were chained to an overhead bar. In the regular cells, all you had was a bucket. Sleep deprivation, people wore diapers. When diapers weren't available, they used duct tape. Whoa. <laughs> or they were just chained naked. Cell blocks were unheated, pitch black, night and day, with music blaring around the yeah. corner. Just again, like you see. Obviously, the whole torture sequences and the effectiveness of it is very political. Yep. Um, CIA torture concluded that CIA had repeatedly and deliberately misrepresented the effectiveness of the torture. So this is one of the dramas that this film came about is because people thought that the torture sequences, because if you watch the film, it feels like the torture sequences was a key step in finding Bin Laden. Yep. But a lot of people say that's not true. So one of the major issues, this is what one of the writers wrote, uh, one of a, uh, like a, a journalist wrote, the torture techniques are specifically designed to make captives more pliable and dependent. They're designed to get prisoners to say whatever you want them to say. So many torture survivors report revealing false or incomplete information just to satisfy their um, torturer yeah. and to end the suffering, not to actually reveal information. Yep. According to the late Senator John McCain, so it's usually, so he was a Republican. Yep. If anyone knows John McCain, he was actually a former captive himself during the Vietnam War. Yep. He said that the trial that, that led to Bin Laden did not begin with a disclosure from Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. That was the guy who was getting tortured at the start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead, the first mention of Ahmed al-Kuwaiti, the courier, came from a detainee who was not tortured. Interesting. None of the three detainees who were waterboarded provided Abu Ahmed's real name, his whereabouts, or an accurate description of his um, Al-Qaeda. The agency, um, the then CIA director actually said, the agency takes no position on whether intelligence obtained from detainees who were subjected to enhanced interrogation techniques <laughs> could have been obtained through any other means. So they basically said, well, we don't know because we're just going to try torture. So yeah. we didn't know if there was any other means actually available for these people. So that's how hardcore this whole torture... And this came in the Senate committee report on torture. That's 1,600 pages. Yeah, wow. So it makes me go going into after watch, you know, the post-watch. Yep. I want to go watch Adam Driver's The Report. Yes. Because this Craig. is a direct link of a lot of the torture techniques that you saw in this film. Yeah, and actually, wow. were how effective they were, which a lot of people are saying they're not effective at all. It's interesting. Let's let's go to post watch now, Craig, because I think we're sort of we're sort of there a bit. I've got a couple other things I'd like to talk about, and I think you've got another little something something. You're something something up my side. Um, but in in post watch, I think the report is a great option to to put out there because I think with the connection between the two stories, definitely. Um, Again, the redacted nature of all the, the promotional material around the report. Uh, Adam Driver's also a fascinating actor. Um, after watching Black Klansman, I'm just on board for anything <laughs> with him. Um, it's interesting. So, yeah, I think that's a great call. Um, we've talked about Argo 
Argo, yes, I definitely want to go. I see think that Argo is definitely worth a revisit, and you can't watch this movie without seeing the parallels between the two. Yep. Um, I also was really drawn and wanted to watch. There were some scenes in there that made me feel like uh, Body of Lies with I love DiCaprio. Body of Lies. Yes. Um, Russell Crowe's in that one. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, um, I really felt like Body of Lies. I wanted to get back into. Yeah. Um. I think you can't watch this film on the Catherine Bigelow journey and not now be excited to go watch Detroit. Oh, incredibly, man. Seriously, just watching how beautiful, like how quality this film is. Yeah. Um, even with the actors, the ensemble cast, like what Bigelow can do with a damn good budget and and damn good talent before yes. and after. Yeah. It's so uh, I'm so excited for Detroit as a result of this. Um, it also made me think, Craig, about uh, Lawless with Jessica Chastain. <laughs> True. Um, she's amazing in it. Uh, have you seen Lawless? Mm-hmm. It's so good. Uh, like LaBeouf's character's so good. Um, Tom Hardy's so great. You've knocked out film. Tom Hardy on set. Yeah, I did hear about yeah. that. Um, I love John Hillcote as a director as well. I think he's a very under, underrated director. He directed The Road, didn't he? The Road, yeah. What he also did film. The Proposition. Yes. Um, he's got another film I love as well. I'm having a mental blank. Another guy we'd like to put on. Yeah, John Hillcote for sure. He's a great Australian director. Um, but, you know, you can't you can't watch these movies without going, oh, man. Chastain's such a good talent. Yes. Um, you know, Ramirez is such a good talent. Yes. You know, you can't watch this film again. I saw him, I said, Bodie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. I can't watch this film without thinking again how great the Bourne films are. Yeah. Because, again, there's these moments where... Which one's he in? Uh, two. He, he's in two or three, maybe three. <laughs> but, yeah, he's definitely three. in a Bourne movie. Ultimatum, I think he's in. Yeah, three. Um, so again, I'm like, oh man, I could get back into those Bourne films again, Easily. which is crazy to think Bigelow is there. Has a very similar look. It does. It has the same sort of texture, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. To, to the film, and it's interesting. You can't watch this film. We watched Point Break. I remember when we talked Point Break, we talked about the influence Bigelow may have had on Michael Mann films. Yep. And I do feel it went full circle and now Michael Mann films are influencing Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could see how it would all just wrap around in a circle. Yeah, totally. And so, again, I really did feel like I wanted to go watch Ali. Yep. Um, Boom, yeah. And... Again, you start. You can't help but think about other Middle Eastern films like The Kingdom. Uh, I've never seen The Kingdom. Kingdom is really from memory. It's it's a similar sort of thing where they're in the Middle East. Um, they're trying to investigate a suicide bomber and track down who it is. Peter Berg's not a bad director. Man. He's not a bad director. Uh, I enjoyed Hancock. Yeah, me too. Mm. Um, and so I think, and I'm pretty sure he directed the Friday Night Lights movie, uh, the yeah. original one. So Peter Berg, he is quite a talented director. Mm. 
Um, so I think films like that, I can't watch this movie without thinking about those things. Is there anything else that you're sort of like, oh, man, really made me want to go off and watch this? I'm trying to think. Pretty much we have stated them all, like Argo, The Report. Um, yeah, it'd be easy to go on a Jessica Chastain run. Yep, um, definitely. But yeah, that's probably that's probably about it. I like obviously you you could end up too far into it and end up watching these bloody um, David Brandt's um, SEAL Team movies. Yeah, um, which you just be like, oh god, it's just yeah. You know, like I don't think I'll go out and watch. I even I still haven't watched it. I don't think I'll watch um, Chris Hemsworth in Thirteen Men. Is it? Uh yeah. What was it? I don't know what it or was. Mark Wahlberg's one. Yeah, there was a 13 Hours one, which was like John that's Krasinski's good. in That's it. Michael Bay. That is a Michael and Bay Everyone one. says that was meant to be good. That was, that's um, Krasinski doing his Chris Pratt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, there's th- that. And there's also one where, um, you know, Hemsworth plays. They play eight SEAL guys on horses who beat a whole Afghanistan. Oh. Remember Do you know that what I mean? Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, there's there was a whole bunch around there where it was just like everyone's SEAL team valor and like you yeah. said, army of valor and and hey, look at me, valor type things. Yeah, yeah totally. Pretty, yeah, exactly. totally. Um, after our chat today, I probably might go watch Tenet again as well. I like oh, it. horrible. Joke. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I make no apologies. I, I love, oh, no, no, I love so, no, you shouldn't. It's 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 a fantastic put together film. It's just now. Craig, before we shorts? before we get to your next little segment, yeah, of course. I just want to really pose something that became really apparent to me. This film, I think I may have touched it. Maybe it's just been kicking around in my head. So just remind me if I've talked about this before on the podcast. Okay? Go, but I've actually started to feel the more and more I watch Bigelow's films, I actually think her casting choices for characters within her films, uh, in particular the female characters you can't help but see bigelow in those characters they are all incredibly strong and and that's what i and that's like when we were saying earlier that people was that they said that mark Boll was her voice because she was too shy yeah i don't believe that man like you watch interviews with um Catherine, she's not a shy person no um you talk to Actors who worked with it, you know, they always say she's a very open person. Yeah. Um, they don't say she's a bitch. They say she's very kind, you know, and yep. and she's um, great to great to work with. But no one ever says she's shy. Yeah. Like she needs to be her voice. Yeah. I, you know, that's that sounds like that sounds like just man's a bit of bullshit. a beat up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I just think I really watching Jessica Chastain in this, I I could not help but feel. I was watching a version of Bigelow. Definitely. I felt it as well, probably in Blue Steel. Well, Blue Steel, Jamie Lee Curtis could be Angela Bassett, could be Jessica Chastain. Yes, exactly, Craig. And I think I think they're the characters that when it comes to mind, who is playing Bigelow. They don't need to be saved. No, not at all. Yeah. Even in a way, Laurie Petty character. Petty's character in Point Break. Yeah, exactly. Again, she doesn't need to be saved. In actual fact, she was quite okay without Keanu. Yeah, exactly. So I just love the idea that these female <laughs> characters, they're not overtly strong. 
No. So it's not, again, like, never, Chastain's character never betrays her strength by making it clear that she's a woman in this struggle. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, and she doesn't, even though she's naturally attractive, she doesn't sexualize the whole. Not at all. You know what I mean? And it's funny, and it's good, you don't have the guys sexualize her as well. The closest thing to sex you actually talk about is when the two girls are talking. Yeah. Anything other than that, you know, basically, you know, you don't see the guy go, ooh. You know, no one, uh, yeah. you, which which you, you would see in other films or you would consider stereotype one of the soldiers to go, that's a great bit of ass. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. Don't, everyone respects everyone because everyone's there for, everyone's there for one single purpose. 100%. She is used as uh, a form of degradation in the torture scene. Yes. When he's like pointing out, she's looking at you, you know, to really bring Dream more shame yeah, on him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but again, that's got nothing to do with sexualizing Chastain. No. It's actually to be like, this is a female looking at you right exactly. now in this place. And that's where a lot of those interrogation techniques were designed because these Middle Eastern men were very proud in their beliefs. Yeah. Obviously not always right in their beliefs, yes, but yes. very proud in their beliefs. And so they were, their egos were bruised very easily because of things like this. Yeah. Love it, Craig. Love it. So I I really, I'm hoping this idea forms more and more towards our wrap-up. I'd love to just dive yeah, into just this dive a bit in more and see in the wrap-up. Because you do see, you see, you do see very abruptly the masculine side through all her films. Yes. Um, and she handles that so well. Yeah. And and you tend, because it's so, obviously, because it's masculine, it's so abrupt, yep. to overlook the strength of her female characters as well. Yeah, mm. totally. And again, in a way, the same thing's done in Zero Dark Thirty because then the people who actually complete the act of killing Osama Bin Laden yeah. are these big, tough, soldiers well that's what's good about it you know if you if you put it in that um gender way you know she's basically she's the brains of the outfit these guys are the fists yep yeah love it so much craig now i've heard a rumor you got something for us oh, this week oh yes i do i have a death of an extra ladies and gentlemen oh, i do death of an extra he is really cool <laughs> 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 all right so um this guy Okay, this guy is always seen as a special forces tough guy. Always seems to be the next to Frank Grillo. Yes. Like a lot of our Aussie talent, he's actually not born in Australia. He was, comes from New Zealand. Tell me. His friends call him Cullen Mulvey. Oh, yes. He'll but always who? be known to me as... <laughs> Jurassic. Heartbreak High, (laughs) bring it to me. This guy has 44 roles in his career. Started all the way back in 1999 in the TV show All Saints. Followed by a life-changing TV series where he was the bad boy Bogdan Draz Drazic. Yes. Fantastic. Good old Joe. He was born in 1975. He's of Scottish, Irish and Maori descent, man. Moved to Australia at seven years old. Not much of, like, I couldn't find much of his time between, obviously, seven years old and friggin' to the thing. Yeah. To his fame. But because of his love of skateboarding and rollerblading, he worked as a stunt double about two years prior to winning the role of Drazic. 
Okay. Heartbreak High. I feel like rollerblading paid a, played a big part in Heartbreak High. Probably. All, and it was probably mad fluoro roller skates too. 100%. Um, he originally started as the villain. He was very much in Heartbreak High? Yeah. In, 100%. In Heartbreak, he was like the, the bully and yeah, the, the mad the bad boy. But was eventually written to become the anti-hero who just wanted to escape his rough Yes, up. I remember. Yeah, man. I know, it's crazy. His character of Jurassic was so famous at one stage here in Australia that there were actually riots in shopping malls when he and the cast would show up for signage. Wow. I know, he talks about it because he, 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 he had a very low um, self-esteem. He goes, I couldn't actually see what other people saw. And he could never really believe the hype. So in 1999, he actually left the film industry. To focus on his music. Wow. I never really found much on his music either. So I can't tell you, obviously, what type of music it was or whether it was good. I'm just going to assume it's punk. Um, in, Classical. In 2003, just prior to his comeback in the film Thunderstruck. Do you remember the Thunderstruck? No. About these guys going to an Akadaka concert. ACDC concert, sorry. I've got all yob here now. Yeah, and it's called Thunderstruck. So... Prior, just prior to his release of that movie, which released in 2004, yep. Mulvey was involved, injured in a serious head-on collision yeah. at 100 kilometers an hour, which is 62 miles per hour in Americans. Not enough to travel through time. No, he was trapped in a vehicle for almost an hour. Yeah, The wow. midsection of his face completely collapsed. An incision was made from ear to ear over the top of his skull, and his face was pulled down. Whoa. Had 17 titanium plates put in that were inserted to impair the repair the fractures to his face and jaw. His left knee and ankle were so bad, they like, because his left knee and ankle were just incredibly badly fractured. Mulvey also permanently lost his vision in his left eye. Yes. And still suffers from headaches due to this illness. Wow. So if, if you ever see pictures of him when he was young he's dashing young bastard. he sure is dashing and then obviously you see him now and he's rough and he has that big scar on the side of his face this is obviously why yep he regained popularity in australia for a tv series rush do you remember rush i do remember rush. Awesome. and his portrayal of the infamous aussie gangster mark moran yeah then obviously a biker he was in a biker series. that outlaws one yeah yeah yep. snotty spencer he was he then moved his career to the states where he was simultaneously hired in Zero Dark Thirty. Yep. As well as the sequel to 300. Yes, that's right. With Sullivan Stapleton. Yeah, exactly. Strong, very strong. So strong as he presence across the board. Jason Clark, Joel Edgerton, and Sullivan Stapleton. Yep. Um, then they, this gave him his start as the tough guy character actor in many more action films. Like, once again, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Batman versus yes. Superman. Kill Me Three Times with Simon Pegg and Theresa Palmer, yep. which filmed in film. Australia. He had a small role in White in Warcraft. I Did know. He? Yeah, it must. Is he one of the three? So the small. Guys? He's simply known as the Warrior, which is actually quite a perfect summary of all these characters in American films. <laughs> He's then joined the TV series Power. Yep. Jackie Chan's Bleeding Steel. He was also popped up again in Endgame, Avengers Endgame. He did. In the flashback scene. TV series, um, The Mystery Road and The Luminaries. Um, he's just finished a fantastic look in Bruce Willis. Um, 
Bruce Willis film where Bruce Willis just is really calling out, just let me die. Um, it's called Breach. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't expect just to go out and look at that piece of shit. Um, <laughs> he's actually in a film called Till Death with Megan Fox, which is a pretty interesting concept. Um, a woman is left handcuffed to a dead husband as part of a sick revenge plot. Unable to unshackle, she has to survive as two killers arrive to finish her off. Interesting. Ooh, there you go. Hey? Is he the dead body? I don't know. Maybe. Which <laughs> of the? I reckon he's one of the killers. He looks like a killer. He would be a killer for sure. But the one I'm actually most excited for with one of his upcoming films is the Russo Brothers CIA assassin film starring Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. Oh, yes. Called Grey Man. Yes, which they're filming at the moment. Yep. So in Europe, a CIA operative turned assassin looks to evade mysterious forces as he tries to save the lives of the daughter. He don't know he exists. Yeah, that sounds oh. really interesting. Coming to Netflix. Stupid, um, stupid trivia. The actual film's title is based upon the Grey Man concept. Have you ever heard of the Grey Man concept? No. Is it like the Blue Man Group? Nope. It's a collection of techniques to operate in a way that won't draw attention to yourself. It's actually a science about blending into your environment. It's a science of perception um, concept. So cool. It's a way to hide in plain sight, allows you to move through a group or crowd unnoticed. It's also part of, there's also a charity called the Grey Men, which I actually helped once. It's an international organization, greymen.org. Um, international organization dedicated to eradicating, eradicating um, the trafficking and exploitation of children around the world, which was started Aww. by ex-special forces. I want to raise money for him for scenic tours. Good on you, Craig. Thank you. He's, um, Jurassic is... <laughs> Jurassic. Jurassic. He's just going to be known Callum as Jurassic. Every time I see him, man, I go, it's Jurassic! <laughs> Me, too. Um, <laughs> Me too. He's married to an academic uh, musician named Rachel Thomas, and they live in Byron Bay, way before it was a celebrity hotspot. Yep. He has an estimated worth of $5 million. Good on him. Just don't ask him to hold a Russian accent for too no, long. No, definitely not. Definitely. But he doesn't mind being asked about Jurassic. Cool. He's very, he's actually, um, he's very, he finds it very complimentary. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, I'll bet. It's the thing that kickstarted his career. Exactly. So. He thinks it's amazing that they actually still did that. Like yeah. people still refer to him as Jurassic. Based on a, was the TV show, if I remember right, was based Upright on a kid. movie. Yeah, Alex Dimitriadis. Yeah, which is funny. If if you actually revisited that film now, it's actually pedophilia. I don't know the... He I sleeps with the teacher. Oh, that's right. Was the teacher Rose Byrne? No, not Rose Byrne. Not Rose Byrne. Um, 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 oh, she was out of Paperback Hero. Oh, with Secret Hugh Jackman. No, no, um. Oh, I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, yeah. It'll you, break my brain. Once, once you see it, you'll know her. I will just look up Heartbreak Kid. Actually, it probably wasn't her. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I I'm, love it, Craig. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it actually... Yeah, but it, it is. So he sleeps with the teacher. Because hey, I remember the Heartbreak I remember kid. the trail. I love you, Pippa. Think about it. Her name was Pippa. <laughs> um, yes. Heartbreak Kid. Heartbreak Kid. Alex Dimitriades and... Yeah. Oh, man, so disappointing. I can't find it. Oh, wait, Claudia Carvin. Claudia Carvin. I was right. Yeah, Claudia Carvin. Good job, Craig. Thank you, thank Claudia you. Claudia Carvin. That's right. She played Christina Papadopoulos. Christina Papadopoulos. So, there you go. Well, thank you for a death of an extra, Craig. There you I go. love it. I love it. So, Craig, 
we probably reached that point of the episode where we take a look at the leaderboard. Let's look at that leaderboard. And let me read it out to you. Beep, 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 beep. We have, after last week, which was a very interesting one, I thought you were going to put Hurt Locker at number one for sure, Craig. We've got yeah. Craig with point break at number one, Hurt Locker at number two, Near Dark Three, followed by Strange Days, Blue Steel, K19, The Loveless, and Weight of Water. With myself, we've got Hurt Locker at number one, followed by Point Break at two, Blue Steel at three, Strange Days at four, Near Dark at five, K19, The Loveless, and The Weight of Water. Now, Craig, where are you putting this film? Well, see, obviously, like I said last week, to me, standard and quality were similar enough to me to go with my heart. Yep. With Point Break. Here, heart. Quality, technicality, everything is just to me sky high. Yeah. This goes to number one. Yeah. I don't blame you at all, Easily. Craig. This is an amazing uh, accomplishment of a film. Craig's dying over here. I am dying, man. <laughs> Too much talking. Two segments in know. one <laughs> episode. Can't do Craig. these segments, man. Can't do oh, segments. I appreciate how hard you've worked for this oh, episode, Craig. So hard. So hard. Um, <laughs> I have to agree with you, Craig. This film is the most complete Catherine Bigelow film that we've received. Definitely. Uh, again, I don't know how next week's going to go. I know. It should be interesting. it's interesting, isn't it? Because quite often with Academy Award winning films, you could question if the right film was chosen. Yeah. Take a, well, probably a good indicator there is Russell Crowe. Was that his best film? Was Gladiator his best Definitely film? Definitely not, yep. Insider, he was incredible in. Fantastic. DiCaprio is the same thing. Was The Revenant his best performance? You know, probably is not. It? But do you think The Revenant's his best performance? I don't know. I mean, I it's feel very like different. Django for sure is he's incredible oh, in Django. But I, I don't think they wanted to give him supporting. Yeah, that's true. But I, I would, I would start <laughs> questioning then. You know, Hurt Locker was a great film, but this is an incredible film. It's incredible. And I think why Argo won over this film in terms of best directing, well, she wasn't even nominated for best director for this film. Oh, really? Which is pretty incredible. But what Argo really has going for it that maybe Zero Dark Thirty doesn't, Argo has humour Yeah. throughout the film. It's a much lighter film, despite being quite a dark topic to cover. Um and I think the Academy voters love that ability to have a little playfulness in films as well. Also, I think um, this was around the time, and, we've st- and we were just talking about then, is where people were getting a bit of fatigue. Yeah, yeah. That sort of war fatigue. That Iraq fatigue, yeah. you know what I mean? Like people people are almost like, oh, great, Bin Laden's dead. Who gives a shit? Yeah, <laughs> we've like, we've heard about you it. Shot him. Yeah, good, good on you. Can I get on with my it's life? Over. I don't, I, there's no longer a boogeyman. Yeah, it's it's true, Craig. It's totally true. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, number one for me, number one for Craig. Damn right. Um, and let's be honest, next week is going to take something pretty special to knock this off top spot. Pretty much. Because this yeah. is this is a dang special film. Very is. It is actually perfect wording. It's a special film. Yeah, totally. And one that I'll happily rewatch. Same. 
Um, I can rewatch it now. Well, yeah. not now. I'm exhausted now. But like, like, <laughs> we've had an adventure tonight. Yeah, haven't your we, eyes are fucking red, man. Hey, same. Yours you're, too. Yeah, we look like we've just been bonging on. Oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I was up very late watching this movie last night. So I got woken up by my boy vomiting all through his bed. Yeah, you poor bugger. Good fun. You Good poor fun. bugger. So, Craig, next week we're tackling Detroit. Detroit. Got a couple. The Motor City. The, the Motor City. Motor City. Do you think Eminem's going to pop up? Dude. Marshall Mathers. <laughs> no, Marshall Mathers. <laughs> um, oh, do you know what I've totally forgotten, Craig? If people don't agree with us, oh yeah, damn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can yeah, people man. find us? Get on Twitter. Get on um, Instagram. FFTL FFTL podcast. Yep, I won't love talk it. too quickly. Um, go on to Facebook. We're on there from first to last podcast. Yep, good one. Um, we've got a obviously we've got a group in it. Get on there, chat. You know, just have a have a yarn with us. Yeah, if we you want to, just email us. Email us at info at fftlpodcast.com or go to our website um, www.fftlpodcast.com and we'll be redoing that soon. That podcast. I mean that um, website. website. We will be doing some work on the website. We'll be working on it. Working Probably on in the soon. off season. Yep. It's not operating in the way we would like it. Nope. Nope. So we'll do some changes we'll there. We'll do like a just more adult material for you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Subscription services. Because I know. Because as we were talking last week, I. A- ASMR. A lot of people listen to us for other reasons. That's so right. So we're just gonna do like a um, OnlyFans. Touch <laughs> section on the site. Just OnlyFans touch section. Just a lot of. If <laughs> if you want to see photos of Craig, wake me up a bit yes. with nothing more than a pair of headphones and a strategically placed microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you can pay us. Yeah, you can Click pay us. Click the mate. donate section. I'll even make sure it still has the the orange top on the on the, <laughs> the microphone. <laughs> He's gonna be like Red Hot Chili Peppers in their early career oh, and wow, wear nothing but that. the fluffy thing. I remember that. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> so next week, Craig, we are talking. Lee is definitely Detroit. a lot of Flea. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking Detroit. It's a film that uh, I honestly don't know much I had about. No idea about this man. I do know that John Boyega's in there. Love and John. I love me some John Boyega. Yeah. I'm surprised because of John Boyega that I haven't seen it before. Me too. I think this is... I'll be really interested when we find out what was actually released in that year. Yeah. Because there'd be a reason. I think there's a reason why. Because at this point, I I am a fan of Catherine Bigelow's work. Yeah. You know, back then. Um, so I think it was 2017 that it was released, oh, wow. if that I remember like rightly. Fucking ages. Um, so there's got to be a reason why... I haven't watched it. So Definitely. I'd love to see what was released in that year, probably what was going on in life. I know I got married in 2017. Oh, so, there you go. You probably So there was probably working on a few of those things. Um, but, um, yeah, that's what we're talking next week. So I'm really looking forward to it. As always, we're so thankful that you're along for the journey. Thanks, guys. Please give us a subscribe. Subscribe. Share us out to your buddies. Exactly, exactly. And just keep Tell listening. people. Just tell people. Yeah, so and that five star, it's pretty darn important. Get on the five stars. Get on the five stars. It doesn't That's take right. you long, guys. It doesn't take Not you long. Not at all. We don't need your words. Just no. give us five stars. It's five stars. That's, That's it. Right. Please, just do it. Just I don't do want it. to beg, but I'm fucking tired. <laughs> beg. <laughs> do it for us, man. Do it for us. <laughs> please. I love please, you. Please, please, please. I love you. I love you all. I love you all. I love you all. I love you, Pippa. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Seriously, what's the trailer up, Brad Kid? I'm sure that's one of the, the one of the lines in it. Hey. Classic. So thanks again. We really love you being on the journey. This has been a blast of a season. Yeah, it has been. We're really excited. We're in the midst of planning the next season as well. Oh yeah. We're really excited for it. Very excited. Um and Ooh, so, hey, bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Can't At wait least. to watch postal. <laughs> has Osama bin Laden on the cover? It was... <laughs> so Tune in next week. We will talk Detroit. And so from all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And we'll catch you next week. See you guys. <laughs>